0: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour. It is Monday, December 3rd, 2018, and this is the Monday morning. No, it's not. It's not the Monday morning else at all. I just got done doing that. It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour. Should have done that ahead of time, Yes. What's up, everyone? My name is Luke Thomas. Welcome to the MMA Hour right here on MMAFighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. Caesar is home, the whole bit. What a show we have planned for you guys today. All right, what do we have in store? UFC featherweight champion Max Holloway is going to be here. Uh, Let's see, Juliana Pena, who is a commentator for Combate Americas, plus a UFC flyweight, bantamweight, we're going to see. She'll join us a little bit after that. Michael Chandler, who's going to get a chance to get that title back. We'll join us after that. And then Henner Gracie is going to be here, huh? That's pretty important. I'm looking forward to that as well. So should be a ton of fun. Plus, Monday Morning Analyst, Sound Off, Weigh In, Tweets, the whole nine. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. As always, keep sending those tweets using the hashtag The MMA Hour. I always appreciate that when you do. Or just give us a call, 844-866-2468. You can also just shoot us an email if you're international. The MMA hour, not MMA hour, but the MMA hour at voxmedia.com. And by the way, a lot of people like will tag up the show on Twitter. They'll use like hashtag MMA hour. You got to put the V in there, the MMA hour. Uh, All right. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Wow, man. What a weekend of combat sports that was, huh? Woof. A lot going on. Hard to keep up with it all. Congrats to all the winners, and congrats to everyone who got to enjoy all those great fights. Let's do this now. Let's join my man in the back. He is the Arequipe to my pan. He is the Queso Blanco to my chocolate. I had that yesterday, by the way. It's oh, da- yeah? Danny was, Segura. Did you hate it? No, you know what? Here's the deal. My, grand, my, uh, my mother-in-law got back from Colombia. She was over there for um, her father's 85th birthday. And so she got the chocolate from there. She got the cheese from there. Okay. Folks who don't know, they put cheese in their chocolate there, hot chocolate. Uh, Bogotá's in the mountains. It's like nine thousand feet in the air. It's like almost twice as high as Denver, so it's like really cold. So here's what I I noticed. It's fine. It's even good, maybe. I kind of like it. It's excellent. But you you can't. You have to have their ingredients. You can't reproduce it here. You can't use none of that uh, hot chocolate powder
1: or whatever that you find here at the supermarket. It's not the same. It's not the same. And, you know, it's the perfect
0: mix of sweet and salty. That's right. Uh, it's just, you got to try it. And the it, right? cheese is like, uh, it's basically, I'll wrap this up here, but the cheese is like, uh, it's tasteless enough yes. so that it's nice with the chocolate, but then has a little bit of yes. salt at the end of it. it. I know it sounds
1: weird. Aesthetically, is weird. But trust me, it's good. I mean, Chito era was backing me up on Twitter. He was. About it.
0: Chito doesn't know anything. <laughs> I'm teasing. teasing. I love cheetah. Hey, man, what a weekend of combat sports, huh? Man, it was great. I watched – my wife was like, are you seriously going to do this all weekend? And I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, Yeah, I am. Uh, Do you have anything uh, that stands out to you? I mean, we're going to get to the obvious
1: stuff, but – I mean, it's got to be that shot from from Wilder and Fury's recovery. I know that's the biggest thing, but I mean – that, I'm still in shock. I'm still in shock. As I'm well. still in shock. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Fury's just made of something else. That shot would have killed the regular man. Uh, he's just, uh, you know, it was unbelievable. He has mental fortitude that yeah. is impossible to describe. And then, and then he comes back and and he's fighting him right and he's trying to survive. And I think at one point, and it's like thirty seconds after he gets knocked down or something, he puts his hands down. And he's still taunting him. Like He taunted him
0: after yeah. he got dropped. Yeah, you know, yeah He just yeah. gets up and just does his whole Insane. bit. A yeah. uh, couple things I would like to note. Number one, mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, it sucked for the Aussies and the Kiwis. They did not have a strong night no. in Adelaide. Um, yeah. So that kind of sucked. But I think, I could be wrong about this, but I think either all or all but one of the fighters who graduated from the Contender Series, they all won. Mm-hmm. Shabazian, Roosevelt, yeah. uh, Shevchenko. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some others. Yeah. Uh, Nice to see them I'm telling you the contender series the those fighters who come off of there are not to be trifled with. I really yeah. enjoyed that, and by the way, kamaro Usman, my lord just just i mean I, I have you and I know this I mean Hafa dos, dos anjos is as credentialed as they come yeah literally a former champion uh granted a weight class down, and dude, Camaro just kind of did whatever he wanted, yeah unstoppable yeah. And he still looked like he had easily another five
1: rounds in him. Yeah, that guy's that guy's already built for a championship fight. Like he's he's ready to go. Yeah, let me
0: do this before we go. Um, I I need to do my way in. I'll talk to. We got calls and tweets. Right, they're all pretty good today. Yes, they're very good. Do we have any women callers? They've been beating me yeah. up on social yeah. media now. Yeah.
1: And, and we got an angry one too. Like, oh, dude. Yeah, dude. You, women listen to our show, you know? We just. Okay. Gotta, uh, but we we gotta, I, if I hadn't said something,
0: fact. I poked the bear. All right, fine. I mean, they're, they're just too busy to call you. Yeah, apparently. You know? Yeah. It's like, you want me to take you seriously, and I do now, but you ladies were slacking before. So let's just be real about that. All right, we'll come back to you a little bit later. All right? All right Sounds okay. good, my friend. Uh, before we go to the way in, very quickly, I just want to give a, a shout out to the boys in the back. I make them do things in the studio that they're well. That sounds really weird, but I make them do things related to their job that the studio was not necessarily built for, and they do a phenomenal job bringing it to you. So I just want to say salute to everyone back there who makes this show possible in the way that I ask them to. And I know that's not easy sometimes, but they do it, and I'm always uh, very, very grateful for their services in that regard. All right, time now for the weigh-in. Let's do the weigh-in right here on the MMA Hour on this 3rd of December 2018. And uh, this is a real simple one. I got this question, and I'm sure anyone else in media got this question too, man. How many people got tweets or whatever or emails uh, or just watching general discussion after that Wilder Fury fight? And I know there's a lot of MMA, but I'm sorry. That was just the biggest contest over the weekend. How many people got hit up from fans asking legitimate question, Dude, like... Is there any way to fix boxing as it relates to judging? And, pardon me, is there anything we can really do about that? The answer is no. Nope. <laughs> there's nothing you can do. Basically nothing. There might be a couple of small things, but the answer is no. I see this every time, and there's a terrible judgment that happens. and Like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Or a referee does some kind of cockamamie thing. Oh, what are we going to do? And particularly as it relates to judging, the referee one, you can swap out personnel over time, which is true for judging too, but those problems sort of remain as consistent as time goes on. The answer is, here's what you can do. You can just learn to love boxing or MMA without having the need for appropriate judging validate your experience. Right? So I saw, I tweeted a photo of the referee at the end holding both Wilder and Fury's hands up, right? And so they're both kind of there. I mean, Fury, Fury had, excuse me, Wilder had his belt and Fury had his other hand up. But the point being was that they were trying to like, you know, it was like, oh, split draw bomb picture. And I, and I tweeted, I was like, oh my God, I'm like so amazed by these two combatants because they both put it out there. And folks were like, oh my God, this was the worst. I can't believe this, this is a terrible decision. Folks, we'll get to this later in the, in the Monday Morning analyst. Yeah, it was, it was not a good decision. It was pretty bad, to be quite honest with you. But the reality is nothing is going to change. You need to find a way to enjoy combat sports without it being validated by getting the appropriate decision call every time. Otherwise, you are going to be consistently miserable. Understand the mechanics in play here. We gave the keys to the kingdom to the people that run the DMV. We gave the keys to the kingdom to the people that run the VA. Do you see what happened with the VA this, this uh, past week? They couldn't pay out GI Bill benefits because they had an IT system that was 50 years old. You could say, what does the VA have to do with athletic commissions? The answer is they're all part of this vast, complicated, government, bureaucratic nightmare. They may not staff the same people or even have the same tasks, but they all are emblematic of this glacial inertia, essentially, that, um, that we're all kind of stuck with. We're just stuck with this. How on earth are you going to get judging to be different anytime soon? Particularly on the MMA side, because I saw a lot of people being like, oh, boxing effed it up again. Boxing really screwed it up. Yo, <laughs> you know that's the same commission that will do all the MMA fights in that state. I had Andy Foster on my show last Monday to talk about Chuck Tito. The guy sounded uh, worn out, and he knew he had Wilder Fury still to come. It's the same people. Maybe not the exact same judges or the exact same referees. It's the exact same sort of uh, leadership group in place with the exact same motivations, the exact same tenureship, the exact same glacial pace to everything that affects all of it. It's all the same. You can make this about boxing. It's not about boxing. It's about athletic commission sanctioning. You think this sounds like an attack on athletic commissions, and it's not. It's just understanding what we have working with us. The reality is we have enshrined in law and entrusted government entities to control how bouts are made, to control who fights, to control the rules to control some of the medical procedures around this, to control the licensing, to control virtually every aspect of this other than the promotion itself. And sometimes that's a really good idea. Like, for example, to avoid self-dealing, you do need someone to make sure the promoter is actually making competitive fights, to make sure that the promoter is not skirting the rules that the fighters weigh in in a way they're supposed to. Um, to make sure that someone who fights deserves to have a license and has cleared some medical protocol to get there. They serve a valuable, important role in MMA and in boxing. But on the other side, when it comes to, like, punishment, why is the Khabib Nurmagomedov, Dylan Danis nonsense not resolved? Because you have a government agency, bureaucratic as it may be, trying to lurch its way through it. That's Why? How are you going to change judging? You're going to have to find another system that's better somewhere else, and then you're going to have to slowly implement it. Who's going to pay for that? Who's going to experiment with that? Who's got the ideas for that? Nobody. If you're in mixed martial arts, what are you going to do? you Are going to go state by state now? Zufa has downsized. Remember all those people who got laid off when the new ownership group t- took over? Who's going to go state by state and do all of this? Nobody. Nobody is, there's no cavalry folks, none. The reality is, I'm not telling you to love bad decisions or to not call a bad decision a bad decision. I'm not telling you to not like who you like or be upset that someone you like was not, uh, was mistreated. You had Tyson Fury saying, I think today, to BT Sport and other people, I was robbed of the greatest comeback in boxing history. I'm not sure he's wrong. That, that, That might be true. And it's, and it's terrible. How are you going to fix that? It is not possible. It is not possible. Margins, a little bit here or there. The UFC can do some self-regulation and experiment with some different attitudes overseas, as can other promoters. One championship, for example, has different rule sets. That's innovation. But, but MMA and boxing... In all 50 states, and for boxing internationally, there's a lot of this. Even Japan doesn't regulate MMA, but they have their own boxing commission. That's why Tenshin nascala can't be both a boxer and a kickboxer at the same time. Uh, you're stuck. You're stuck. This, this is what it is. And if your boycotts were really serious, well, then they might change things. But the promoters basically all make enough money and are able to recruit enough talent and stage enough shows that they don't have any reason to lobby the state commission to make any kinds of changes. So here is the reality. (laughs) You got to be like Seneca. You got to be like Buddha. You got to just have a little stoicism about this in the face of disaster. You just have to say in the words of our next guest, it is what it is player. It's just going to be what it's going to be. And I know that sucks. It's a terrible way to start the weekend. I feel terrible for Tyson Fury. I'm a Deontay Wilder fan, and I mean that. But Tyson Fury got the raw end of the deal here, no doubt about it. But uh, in terms of change, there is no change. In terms of offers, there is no offers. This is what it's going to be. Just find a way to enjoy it amidst the sadness. Yay! What a fun way to start fight week, huh? It's just true. You see me, I thought it was a bad, dec- a bad decision. I didn't agree with it. Happy to see a rematch, of course. But I realize, what am I going to do? What are they going to do? It, 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 it's not about what, what empowerment I have sitting in this chair to change things. It's just the reality of the situation. You handed over rules and judging and adjudication of disputes to a state agency. Welcome to that reality. All right, let's do this. Time now for a round of tweets. Five minutes on the clock. The clock starts when the first tweet goes up. Let's see it. Here we go. All right, people say that judging an MMA is a much more difficult endeavor over boxing. That's true. After watching Canelo versus Triple G one, and now Tyson versus Fury, you mean Wilder versus Fury. And seeing the judging, I'm starting to wonder if it is boxing that is more difficult to judge thoughts. No. Big John McCarthy told me something really interesting once. You can take someone trained in MMA and to get them trained up to the level where they can judge boxing, it's a very short learning curve. Conversely, getting someone who is a boxing judge to then be able to judge MMA fights can often be a much, much longer learning curve. It's just a different sensibility about things. There are more combative aspects that you have to weigh inside of uh, MMA, and there's fewer rounds. In boxing, there's a little bit more variance for uh, different ideas and for error, actually. It's just in this one, they just made a lot of it. Next. Uh, with Fury and Wilder having a two-way rematch clause, but not for a draw, as Fury said in the interview afterwards, do you think this is something champs and MMA will start getting put in contracts? And we'll see more rematch, and what do you think if that happens? There is no way, short of someone being Conor McGregor-powerful, the UFC is going to allow one of these guys to introduce a rematch clause into their contracts. Not going to happen. Next, uh, Overeem, Dos Santos, Hua, and to some extent, Nganu, Does it warm your heart that this? That the, excuse me, that the seasoned fighters are the ones who won their respective bouts? Does it complicate things that no one torches? Excuse me, that no torches were passed in the shallow heavyweight division? Awesome show. Thank you very much for that. You know, on the one hand, there was and there wasn't. Uh, Tui Vasa didn't beat JDS, but on the other hand, Willis did beat Hunt. So there was semi, I mean, I wonder if you call that torch passing in the Willis Hunt bout, but generally speaking, I think it's better if you've got these institutional figures when they naturally get pushed out and they don't suppress the amount of newcomers who can then re-energize the division. So generally, I don't like what happened over the weekend, but to your point, how do you not be happy for Alistair Overeem? How do you not be happy for... Um, uh, Junior Dos Santos, and particularly Shogun Hua, you have to be, right? So it's a little bit of both, I think. Next. Why are so many of the refs who have been around for years making critical mistakes constantly as of late? What can be done, if anything? So this is another complicated one, right? It's like, um, I'm not sure who you're referring to in this particular case. There needs to be constant re-education, and to some extent there is but the state apparatus isn't really the one doing it unless they partner with a particular referee. Like, Big John McCarthy teaches courses. Herb Dean teaches courses. I think even other ones do, like Jason Herzog and some other ones. It's not like the state teaches courses and then they go get the licensing from that. They are the ones not doing the licensing per se, but doing all of the best practices as it relates to that particular industry. And so you're asking why they make mistakes. I think, number one, that's just what the highest level of refereeing looks like. For the most part, and number two, I I wonder how much professional development that actually happens in the course of their careers. I'm sure a lot. I just don't know what the full answer is, and so it's kind of hard to understand how they make progress over time. Next, uh, Caldwell or Horaguchi, who are you leaning towards? Got to be Caldwell, Darian Caldwell. Um, Horaguchi is a little bit bigger than I thought, but he's not nearly as big as Caldwell. He's a very—I'd say—he's actually more well-rounded than Darian. But Darian's shut-down wrestling should make the difference. We're going to see, but that's going to be a super interesting one because it'll be in that squared ring and not that uh, rounded cage that Bellator uses. Should be a lot of fun. Next, uh, how would you rate the overall growth of Tyson Pedro? He had a lot of hype coming into the UFC but never been on a steady rise. Who's a suitable opponent for him, in your opinion? I, I don't think about the, uh, the uh, opponent at this point. You know, he looked really good early. It wasn't like he had looked like, all, even Tuivasa. Tuivasa and Pedro lost, but they looked good early. Overall growth of Tyson Pedro, I don't know. It's like on the one hand, he does a lot of things right. To me, the issue only seemed to be started strong. Tuivasa, same thing for the most part. It was just making good decisions consistently over time seemed to be a bit of an issue. So maybe it's just a maturation thing where, you know, um, over time they learn to just slowly implement their offense rather than just sort of improvising all the time. They begin to understand when to improvise and when not to. It's a difficult question. Um, you know, they have, you have to also ask what's his ultimate upside. I guess we're going to have to find out, but he's, he's still too green to say that this is all we're going to get from him. There's a lot of left, life left in him. Let's go to the next one. Uh, in an interview recently, Dana said the ultimate fighter will keep going. I can't see any reason to keep it around. Why do you think the UFC has such a hard time letting tough go? I think they're going to be able to cut costs in the next season because they're going to have their own, what you call it. They're going to have their own, um, a venue and it does produce some decent stars over time. And they just seem to think that it's a good vehicle. I don't know why. All right, he's on the line now. Not a moment to waste. Let's get it going. He defends his title at UFC 231 this weekend. He is the reigning and defending UFC featherweight champion of the world via phone, I believe. Our friend Max Holloway joins the show. Max, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm good,
2: Luke. Yeah, it's it's phone interview, man. Sorry. I know you wanted to see my pretty face, but... uh... I wasn't able to get to a Skype a laptop, so I, I apologize. So I wanted to see that beard of yours, you know, that beard. Your beard game be strong.
0: It does. It is certainly strong. Well, first of all, Max, a couple things I want to get to right off the break. Number one, I'm not going to see you tomorrow, so I'll say it now. Happy birthday. I know your birthday is tomorrow, correct? Ah, oh, thank you, man. Ah, oh, that's, that. that's amazing. Thanks for remembering, yeah. Yeah, okay. So first of all, that should be a lot of fun. Second of all, I saw your interview with uh the gentleman from Complex. Did you get the PlayStation PGs that you said you were going to? Hey, I got them. I got them. Did you I really?
2: We picked the uh, Yeah, I'm about that life. I was jogging when when it when the raffle went on and uh and um I entered. I didn't get them. And then one of my friends, uh one of my friends uh is being smart ass to me. He like he showed me my cameraman actually he like showed me, He's was like, hey, what does this mean? Because uh, he entered a raffle, too, for the, on the sneakers app. He was like, hey, what does this mean? And he had big words that say got him. I was like, wow. I was like, thanks for rubbing it in the face because I just told him I didn't get him. And then I had a, I had a couple of homies in Hawaii enter the raffle for me, too, and one of them got him for me. So he, he hit me up through Instagram and told me, hey, look, I got him for you. So it's, uh, I'm so stoked. I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait.
0: All right, whenever you can put them on your feet, whenever you get a ha- uh, your hands on them, can you Instagram or tweet a picture of them, please?
2: Oh, yeah, it might be a video. It might, uh, I don't know, last night I kicked a car window out, so maybe we'd
0: kick something else out with them on. It'd be fun. That would be kind of fun. All right, man, let's get to it. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly what to ask you about some of this stuff, except just to say, um, are you already tired of all the questions about the difficulties you face this year? I know media week is about to start. I mean, how do you feel about having to answer for this kind of stuff all the time?
2: It is what it is, you know. People, pe- some people are concerned, really concerned. Some people need to do a job, and 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 it comes with it comes with my job. So you know, I, I ain't concerned. I know about a bunch of questions. You know, I've been answering a, a bunch of times. You know, the answer is not going to change on all of them. So you know, if you guys want to hear old record played, and you know, keep asking the questions. <laughs>
0: Have you thought more about it? Because I know that, you know, it's not a concussion, or at least you don't think it was. You don't think it was the water-loading thing or the weight-cutting thing. Could it have been some kind of illness that they just didn't diagnose or didn't know about? Yeah. You know, we don't know. You know, we we took the test that they thought that it,
2: what it was. Like I said before, you know, we took all the tests. We passed all the tests. So... And all Otis is coming back looking great. So, you know, at the end of the day, we see, you know, I still got an ongoing private investigation, you know, with uh, trying to figure out what's going on, you know, me and my team, because we're still trying to figure it out. But at the end of the day, it, it's not the big things that they thought. So, you know, right, right now I can't comment too much on it because we still got the investigation going on. But, you know, that's
0: it. How do you know you feel better? Like, can you give us a sense of, like, how you know internally, okay, I feel the way I'm supposed to.
2: Man, man, I wish, uh, I wish I could let you guys into my camp, but ninjas move in silence. And, um, <laughs> and that like this, this, uh, this camp been one of the greatest ones ever, man. It's, uh, I've been breaking numbers, doing, doing a lot of amazing stuff, you know, making, uh, surprising a lot of people. So I, I can't wait, man. I just can't wait for December 8th and show you guys what I've been working hard for. You know, it's, uh. People keep sleeping, you know, it's time to wake, wake them up again and let them know that uh, Bless Air is still full effect. And, uh, you know, jump on the blessed train now, you know, the blessed Express. We, we're at the pit stop right now. We're waiting for you guys to all get inside, you know. It, it's better to be sitting down inside than chasing us, you know, because it's, it's a really fast train. So, you know, don't be one of those guys jogging behind it.
0: You know, did you, could you kind of feel like a lot of people forgot? About, I mean, because coming off the second Aldo win, you were on top of the world. Do you feel like some people forgot about what you were doing in the sport because of all of the difficulties? And, and perhaps Saturday is your chance to be like, okay, remember back then? It's still going on.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, like what I said, you know, I told I told you guys already, you know, everybody keeps saying this is going to be one of the hardest fights for me, you know, and I, and I believe, you know, I believe every fight is hard. You know, everybody keeps saying this guy's undefeated and this and that, but, you know, I'm on every fight. You know, I'm undefeated. He's finally an undefeated fighter, too. You know, but at the end of the day, my favorite thing to do is when people say, "Oh, this guy's gonna do this to me. This guy to do this to me." And I go out there and I and I show them what's really up, and then they're like, "They're like, damn, okay, maybe not." You know, so I, I like making people question themselves. So Saturday night, just tune in. You know, it, like like I said, I know if you're in Toronto, if you're in the area or whatever, I know the ticket is sold out. You know, and and the event is sold out already because the fans here is crazy for it, and uh, they know that Christmas uh, is coming December eighth instead of December twenty fifth this year. And, um, you know, but I'll tell you one thing that never sells out is pay-per-view, you know, so you guys got to start figuring it out, you know, be with your friends and your families and, you know, make big parties, make small parties. And if you're going to a party, buy a pay-per-view at your house, because that's how great this car is going to be. This is a, this is an MMA this card. You know, the, all the inside guys wanted this card and, uh, it's, it's here.
0: Let's talk about your opponent, Brian Ortega for a second. I went back yesterday in, in, uh, preparing for this interview and I watched all of his UFC fights, right? Here's one thing I noticed, true or false, outside of Frankie Edgar, you're the only other opponent he's faced in the UFC that consistently uses a jab. I, 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 would you, is that true or false for you? Uh, you, you can true or false, you, you tell me. 100% true, in my judgment. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. So what do you think that means? Do you think the, Would you acknowledge up front that the jab is not only central to your fights in the way that it has been, but probably for this one too?
2: Look, I everybody keeps talking about boxing all these boxing fights and blah blah this and that. You know, I I pride myself in being the best mixed martial artist and being the best mixed martial artist, you must go to the other martial arts and and, and train yourself in them. You know, and uh, you know, and, and just so happened, boxing is one of my favorite ones. You know, and I love, like you said, that that jab. So
0: we're about to find out. Uh, is it obvious to say, and maybe it is, that the biggest threat from him is his clamp are right, jumping on some kind of a head and an arm um, um you know it's just some setting up some kind of submission in the in the uh you know the flash of a of an eye or um like when you assess him as an opponent, his biggest threat is what uh
2: he' dangerous the
0: man the man is dangerous you know he he's just
2: a dangerous guy all around you know he showed that he can knock you out you know with a punch with a kick with a knee uh, he showed that if you give him something he's gonna take try to take it home with him. Uh and, and he also showed that uh he got a chin on him, you know, that that, that uh the Mexican blood in you know, him, man is crazy, you know, it's 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 gonna be a crazy fight, you know. Mexican and Hawaiian we're, were born fighters, so it's it... crazy, it's amazing and I can't uh I just can't wait to this is one of the guys, I and mean, this is a fight, you know, everybody keep act, talking about man, I wish these guys could fight at this time or blah blah. blah. Well this is here it is, you know, two young guys. And for the fight that matters most, for a belt, for a champion, for a world championship fight. So I I, I, I can't wait to do it, man. I just can't wait to go out there. And, uh, you know, these fights are exciting because he's one of those guys that, you know, when it's all said and done, they look at my career and they look at the list and they're like, damn, who, who did this guy not fight? You know, and that, that's just what I want to be. I want to be the best ever. Uh,
0: what do you make of the fact that he snatches submissions so late in fights sometimes?
2: Hey, he's uh, that's that's the jiu-jitsu way, you know. You never, you you're never out the you know, fight, you know. Like, uh, I got one of the greatest jiu-jitsu practitioners in the world too, you know, and Ryan and and even uh, and his trainer was uh, Pedro Sauer. And every time I talk stories of Pedro, you know, it's like they, they, that's the Gracie way, you know, to the death. You know what I mean? Like to someone, that, you know, like I'm gonna take it or, or hurt you or I make you quit, you know. So I I think it's cool, you know. He's really living that that Gracie jiu-jitsu lifestyle. And that's dope.
0: Is there any way to like give a, the fans a sense of what the last year has been like? Last time I saw you was actually that media day where Connor had that whole crazy thing, um, and that was when you were going to fight Number Gomeda before everything went awry. And I'm wondering if you look back on this year, 2018, how would you describe 2018 in your in your mind?
2: Uh, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, man. You know, I I found out a lot about myself. Found out a lot about uh, about just life in general and, and you know, it's just a learning experience. You know, you know, you live, you learn, you know. So I I'm just blessed, man. I found out that I'm blessed. I'm really blessed. It's bigger than a nickname. So I I all I can say about this year is I'm blessed. You know, it's it's crazy. I went through some I went through a rough, rough times, a bunch of rough times, but we here, you know, it's not how you start the race, how so you finish.
0: And we're gonna finish strong come December eighth. Do you need to win I mean obviously you want look I'm gonna ask this question very carefully. Dominic Cruz when he beat TJ Dillashaw after that long layoff, said he didn't need that win to validate who he was. He knew it. The winning was nice, but he, he had already had a sense of of what it meant to be who he was. Do you share that view? Like, is winning part of this process or is winning a bonus to the process? Yeah, winning is a bonus, man. You
2: know, I, I know who I am. I know who I am. No, no win, no loss, nothing shake me. You know, you always – life is great, man. Life is great. You know, we go out there. I go out there, I have fun. You know, people keep stressing. People keep thinking too far in the future. Uh, pe- uh, people keep thinking um, too far in the past. They're living in the past. So, at the end of the day, I, I feel great, man. I know who I am. I know what I can do and what I can do. And it's one step at a time, you know. So, I, I can't wait. And we see what happens. You know, it's, a, it's an exciting time to be alive, you know. And it's an even better time to be a blessed fan. So, if you're not, get, flip the switch, Slip the switch and, uh, you know, join the Bless Arrow. How come you and Canada click so well? <laughs> Man, look, look. Look, look, This is how it goes. The Hawaiian Islands got eight, eight, the chain got eight islands on them, right? A bunch. We call Las Vegas the ninth island because a bunch of Hawaiians moved there. So it's like the ninth island. Toronto is the 10th island. They're amazing. The people here, the fans here is great. You know, I got more than a dozen like people hitting me through my uh through my webpage telling them hey look if you need a place to stay we got an extra room for you and your team i got i got they offering us to cook dinners and stuff you know where where else does this happen it's crazy you know every other place we don't we vote, we do not get that kind of love so it's uh, it's amazing i don't know what it is you know even uh on on last week thursday you know they used my they used my gif and stuff after they didn't they didn't beat uh, golden state for like 4 years or something at home and they finally did it so it, it was amazing after a big win like that they should they uh
0: they use my gift you know yelling uh where's my belt so it, it's pretty cool uh max are you mad at me that i'm more of a push a t fan than a drake fan
2: no nah, not at all you know but uh you know i just you might get a su- surprise a little little uh little rat bite in your um in your beard if i see
0: you next time And that's about it how is Drake? Convince me. Is he a good guy?
2: Yeah, hey, Drake is a good guy, man. He's a nice guy. You know, we got to talk. Uh, I got to talk to some of his guys, uh, some of his guys on the team. You know, I, I got to talk to the guy, uh, the the man who runs his uh, OVO line for him. Uh, you know, his, him and his crew is a bunch of good guys, a bunch of good crews. I was talking a uh, little story with them in the back, and you know, I got nothing but nice things to say about him.
0: You know, it's kind of interesting. I would, I haven't had a chance to pick your brain about this. I know you got just a couple minutes left, so let me do it before you go. What did you make of uh, Connor's fight against Habib? Because I know that you guys used to go back and forth a lot. That's kind of died down. When you saw that fight at UFC 229, what did you make of it?
2: You know, I, everybody keeps saying, "Oh, Connor got smashed." I, you know, I, I didn't see it. You know, like yeah, a couple in in couple positions he did, but I thought he was doing great. I thought he was doing actually pretty good. You know, I, I thought they had a good game plan going into the fight. It looked It looked great. Looked good. It's just. Khabib was just capitalizing on that little, like real little mistakes. Connor was doing. Khabib was just capitalizing it, you know. So I just think Khabib was just on his game a little bit more that night than anything, and it was a good fight, you know. It was. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people was like just saying that Connor didn't do that good, but I, I thought Connor did pretty good, you know. It-, it is what it is. He was in bad positions. He got out of bad positions too. So, I, I, you know, my my asset of it
0: was he did all right. Did that fight give you more confidence that had you faced him at UFC? What was it, two twenty three? That you would have won?
2: Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we will saying we gonna find out. You know, we got nothing but time too. You know, I know they, I know they figuring out. They, they gotta figure out this stuff going on. So we see what happens. I got Brian Ortega first. You know, that's definitely the two of them is definitely uh, the guys that would, be, that would be cool. You know, and everybody keep talking about. So we see what happens. You know, i I'm a fighter, you know. I fight. I'll I fight whoever, and uh, you know. I, I'm a champion. I've been a champion, and you know. I'm about to go out here and defend, defend, be a defending champion. And the next thing on my list is to be on the pound for pound list. So you know, and that number one pound for pound, you know, and whatever fight it is that takes me there, I'll go there. You know, if it's uh, going up a weight class, if it's staying here defending my belt twelve times, if it's going up three weight class, if I gotta see, if I gotta go and see the the daddest man on the planet, then so be it, you know. We're going to get it because I want that
0: number one pound-for-pound pound spot. Last question before you go. How long before you're number one pound-for-pound pound in the sport? We see what happens, you know. We see what happens. I, I
2: You know, I, it's all about hard work. I just got to keep on putting the work, you know. It's uh, it's up to you guys, you know. I, whoever whoever the guy's voting for it, you know. you guys They got to figure out. I'll go ask them. I'm just going to keep on doing my job and, uh, you know, keep getting these wins.
0: I know you got to go. Max, I really appreciate your time. You've done a ton of media. I know you got a lot ahead of you. Thank you. Genuinely, I say that. Thank you for making some time for me on the show. And, dude, I cannot wait to see you and Ortega lock horns on Saturday. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you, Luke, man. You've always been been one of the
2: greatest uh, uh, supporters and stuff. So you have a good uh,
0: one. Have a There he goes. Max Holloway. Blessed era is what we're in. Hey, we're going to have Juliana Pena in about five minutes or so. I didn't get a chance to get to it a whole lot here uh, or in my weigh-in. I thought about making it the weigh-in, and I was like, eh, I don't know. Can we say something about Shogun Hua for just a second? I know a lot of folks were um, just so amazed by him on Saturday at UFC Adelaide. Oh, my God, man. I was just – like, I'll be honest. I was so happy to see him win. Nothing against Tyson Pedro, of course. Dude, going into this week, I didn't even realize he was on the card until I had – for my job – open up the page and see who was on there and I was like oh my god Shogun who was fighting this week I didn't even know and then I was like oh man Tyson Pedro and he's a young gun he's gonna go out there and just give him hell and then at first I was like Jesus this is terrible that first round Tyson Pedro was just tearing him up you know and you were thinking to yourself oh this has just gone on too long remember he was coming off the Anthony Smith loss where he got viciously KO'd and it was a whole thing you're just like oh you know, how much should this guy be fighting? And, and even in the win, I'm still like, I don't know if this is <laughs> for his health. I don't know if this is like the best idea I've ever seen towards of preserving it. You know, he's got the LeBron hairline. It's all moving back. And all of us in our late thirties are like that. But, um, and he just, you know, he doesn't quite look the same as he used to. And it's for many years, he was joked on for his knee injuries and what they did to his vitality and his capability. And and everything else. And then he just showed. Like what was so amazing about that experience at UFC Adelaide. It was like, it was, you couldn't call it vintage Shogun. Because it wasn't. Vintage Shogun would be the 2005 middleweight tournament, right? In pride. Where he's just blowing through everybody. And that's not what this is. He is older. Not as, you know, muscular and lean as he used to be and, and whatnot. But in terms of the resiliency... In terms of that, fight like a dog until the moment you are either unconscious or they are, or the ref is separating you. This absolute commitment, this warlike commitment that he had, that was all still in play, and that he was able to dig out a win. I was at 37 years of age after suffering that terrible first round. In some ways, maybe that was vintage shogun spirit. Just incredible to watch, man. Like we always talk in MMA, like what is the best tournament that's ever been, and and maybe that two thousand five five, excuse me, Pride um, uh, tournament was. But we never talk about like who's had the best tournament runs. Oh, he won the most prestigious tournament, but it was always about the tournament. What tournament had the most stars? What tournament had the most action? What tournament produced the the, the best result? Yo, who had the best tournament? That's what I want to know. Who had the best run? And in MMA, there's a lot you could. Once you could different, ar- you could argue. You could maybe say uh, Mark Coleman 2000. You could say I don't know uh, a lot of different ones, but I'm gonna go with Shogun Hua's 2005 middleweight run. Um, it's just unlike anything else you've ever seen. It's just unlike anything else you could ever have imagined, and he's had a gazillion downs since then. But just to see a flash, a moment, a something that was there was really kind of incredible so and pedro has time to get back on the winning track and i'm sure he will uh and i don't know how much life left in him as a fighter to be honest that shogun has but for two rounds really on saturday night of the three i suppose he showed us um just his incredible character i'm in awe of it uh like i always am all right let's go to our next guest is this phone or skype danny i can never remember Phone. Okay. Let's go to our next guest. She joins us. She's a commentator for Combate Americas, a UFC bantamweight, a mother, and so much more. The inimitable uh, Juliana Pena joins us right now on the MMA Hour. Hi, Juliana. How are you? Hey,
3: good morning. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing quite well, Juliana. It's been a long time since we've spoken. I think the, uh, I know you've been active in the MMA world through Combate, but um, in terms of your UFC side of things, we have missed you.
3: Definitely yes. I have been uh, commentating for uh, Combate Americas and loving every second of it.
0: All right, let's um, let's we'll get to that in just a second. Let's backtrack here a little bit. So you uh, last fought, I believe, what January of 2017? Yes, did I get that number right? I think so. Yeah.
3: Know. Sometimes you guys know the stats about myself more <laughs> than I know. <laughs>
0: A, a fair enough. Real quickly about that. I've heard some rumblings uh, from social media, I believe, that you were sort of considering a comeback. Where are we in the process of that?
3: Um, it's soon, that's what I can say.
0: <laughs> so you, you have actively spoken to the UFC?
3: Um, no, I have not, no, but my people have, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, have you been training on, I mean, you must have been active in the gym, obviously childbirth notwithstanding, but as a general life practice, you've been in the gym, right? Yeah. So, like, how active? Like, uh, how f- if they called you today, how far away could you be physically from doing it?
3: Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm kind of in the midst of figuring that out. I'm here in my hometown getting evaluated, and, uh, you know, sh- sh- I'll be leaving here on Wednesday, and hopefully by the end of that time, <clears throat> my coach will have a- an answer for me as to when I'll be ready to take a fight again and get back in fight camp.
0: Oh, I see. Fair enough. Okay, so could be first quarter, maybe second quarter of 2019, something in that ballpark-ish?
3: Yeah, 2019 for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, i got to tell you, the division's changed a lot since you've been around. What do you make of the state of women's MMA these days, and particularly your division and what has happened since you were last around?
3: Um, you know, I, I think that it's awesome. I just know that the the bantamweight women are, are killing it, and it's exciting to see. And it's um, – always refreshing to see a 35 or a 135 or on the, on the cards. You don't see enough of them. Um, they're far and few in between. So I'm always really excited when I see a, a bantamweight uh, women's fight. So um, yeah, I, I'm I'm happy for them and I can't wait to get back in the division and join them.
0: Yeah. I, I, I could well imagine. Uh, let's talk about a few different things related to that. And I want to talk about this Copa, uh this uh, Copa Combate in here in just a minute. Uh, very quickly though, This weekend, you have UFC 231, one of your previous opponents, Valentina Shevchenko, dropping down a weight class, 125, where she takes on Ioannia and Jacek. I wonder what you make of this matchup.
3: Um, I think that Valentina's going to (laughs) win. That's all I think.
0: (laughs) Okay, give me a reason why. Is it size? Is it the size and the skill? Something else? Yeah, it's
3: it's the size, for sure. I definitely think that she's got more size and strength on her, and I definitely think that she, she's the more experienced uh, fighter when it comes to dealing with heavier opponents. You know, she's been fighting girls that walk around way heavier than her for a long time. So I think that her moving down to 125 is a smart move. And I definitely think she's going to have the strength advantage.
0: Physically, when you locked up with her, did she feel like other bantam? Because you also fought and defeated Kat Zingana, who is known for being physical in that weight class. Uh, relative to her, how did she like, physically feel?
3: Um, I definitely felt like I was stronger than her, and I think I just got a little overzealous and a little too excited. You know, they always say position before submission, I think I kind of punched myself into a submission. So I, I definitely felt that I was, though, physically stronger
0: than her. Fair enough. So 125, a better weight class for her then?
3: Yeah, yeah. It's a smart move.
0: What do you make about J Jacek jumping up? Like, it just seems a, a bridge too far for me, at least against Shevchenko.
3: Yeah, I think... Um, you know, she was talking about wanting to do it for such a long time, and and I know that you know there were some people out there being like, yeah, that's never going to happen. She's never going to do that. And I think that they really were convinced of that for a long time. Um, but I think that she also um, was serious about it, and she's proving that she was serious. Uh, by moving up weight class and fighting Shevchenko. So I think that that's um, very, very ballsy of her, very gutsy. And, you know, I commend her, hats off to her, and, you know, may the best woman win. But in my opinion, I think that Valentina will be the victor.
0: Fair enough. Uh, By the way, in terms of, like, when you come back, I know you're not going to name an opponent because this is all still very, very new, I get it. But inside the top ten, in terms of ranking, inside the top five, what are you thinking?
3: Uh, I'm not thinking. I'm just thinking about when I'll be healthy and ready to compete and, and when I'll be ready to get in a fight camp and then the opponent will come later.
0: Yeah. All right. I can dig it. Uh, all right. By the way, how did you get this gig with Combate Americas? How did that come about?
3: Um. You know, Campbell McLaren has been trying to hit me up for a long time and, and, and uh, he was calling the wrong number, literally. And so when he finally came through with my agent, he was like, Kid, I have been trying to get a hold of you for a long time, and then I was like, "This is a a cold-hearted woman. She will not return my phone calls. What do I got to do to get this girl uh, a part of my team?" And he's like, "And then I found out I had the wrong number the whole time." And he's like, "So I've been wanting you forever. I think that you're great. I think that you you got the great look. I want to make you a star, and I I think that you have the the right." Um, capabilities for, for coming on board with my team. So he, he got in contact with my agent, and we just set it up and made it happen. And, and you know, I couldn't be more grateful. Campbell is a, is a genius. And um, he's, a, he's a really great man to work for, and, and he's a really funny man, and I just enjoy every second working with him.
0: What's the hardest part about commentating?
3: The hardest part about commentating is jumping over people. You know, I get so excited in there. I'm always – You know, I could talk to a rock about MMA, literally. I could talk to a wall. I could talk to anyone about MMA, anyone who will listen. I could talk about it forever and ever and ever. But the thing is, is I get so excited. And and I know these guys personally sometimes, too, that it's hard for me to hold my excitement in. And and somebody will be saying something, and I'll just be screaming, yes, yes, you got him, you know? And so it's really hard for me as a fan to try to rein it in and be a little bit more professional and quit jumping over people. Um, and, And I think that's the most difficult part for me because sometimes, you know, I'm in a three-man booth and I'm sitting there being like, you guys can take this one off. I got this. You know, I'm just sitting there thinking I could just do it all by myself if they'd let me.
0: Uh, was it the perfect job to come along while you had this motherhood break and this break from MMA to still be watching these young fighters coming up, being talking, talking about them? Like it's, it's this good proximity, but not necessarily an unhealthy, toxic sense, the relationship to MMA during that time
3: it was a great thing. You know, it was uh, something that I've always wanted to get into, you know, um, you, they always say, you know, fighting's great and all, but your fighting career is going to end at some point. So you have to have a backup plan and talking about fighting is something that makes me very happy. And I've always wanted to, get my foot in other avenues and, and, and open up other doors in the MMA world. I've always wanted MMA to be a part of my life and to engulf my life for the rest of my life, because it is what I am passionate about. So MMA and talking and, and uh, being a chatterbox is just something that comes naturally to me. And so to get this kind of gig, especially from um, transitioning into motherhood and transitioning back into fighting has been a blessing, you know, and it's just real nice to you know, get that diaper money and not having to get punched in the face and, <laughs> and and do something that I enjoy doing. So it's it's all real fun. And I love the fights. I got to tell you, these these fights are so exciting. And they have such a high percentage of finishing uh, in Combate Americas. And so these fights are so exciting. And, and I'm so excited in particular about this Copa Combate eight-man one-night tournament uh, that's coming up here.
0: So let's talk about that more. December 7th at the Save Mart Center in Fresno, California. Correct me if I get any piece of this wrong, Juliana. This is the second annual tournament, right? Uh, One night, eight man, featherweight tournament. And here's how it goes quarterfinals are one five minute round, semifinals and finals will be three five minute rounds. Winner gets a hundred grand. Did I get that right?
3: Right, and it's it's a pinnacle of a tournament kind of deal because it's country versus country, and there's eight countries. The winner gets $100,000 and a trophy that is the largest trophy in sports. It's four and a half feet tall. It's a foot taller than the Stanley Cup. It weighs like 85 pounds or something crazy like that. It's the most beautiful trophy I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, if it were me, I would just want to be fighting for that trophy because that's like massive bragging rights. Like, that trophy is so gorgeous um literally i'm just so excited to see whoever wins get that thing and try to take that home on a plane because that thing is going to be interesting um but yeah you can see the whole thing live on the zone um i'll be commentating alongside max Bretos and gilbert melendez and it is the first sanctioned one night eight-man mma tournament in the u.s um so I think they did one in Oklahoma, but that one wasn't sanctioned. I don't know if it was sanctioned or not. But anyways, this is the first one, and it's huge. It's at 145 pounds, and uh, it's the format that was that Campbell used to originally start the UFC. So it's it's such a it's such a fun thing, you know, because literally you don't know who's going to win. You you think you know you have your favorites and everything like that, but what if your favorite gets knocked out in the first round? Gets a cut above his eye, it's so big that he can't continue, you know, and and then he's knocked out. So anything can happen. And as you know, in MMA, anything can happen. But in this particular instance, it's going to be crazy because, like I said, eight different countries, you know, one five-minute round to seal the deal so that you can move on. And and you got to fight three times in order to win this thing. So it's going to be bananas.
0: How do you fight a one uh, – okay, so the quarterfinals are one five-minute round. What is the plan there? Because, yes, the plan could be, oh, go finish somebody, right? But it's not always that easy – how do you game plan around that?
3: You know what's so interesting about that is I think that that's so cool. You got 5 minutes, literally. You have 5 minutes to go put it on someone. Like literally, it's like the difference between life or death and the difference between in my opinion me and that trophy, you know, so I want that trophy. I'm going to try to go kill you so that I can get that trophy. And then of course, a hundred grand and the bragging rights from being, you know, the winner of, of beating, uh, someone's th- three different men in one night, you know, that's massive bragging rights. And it's so old school style that it's, it literally, it gets me excited just thinking about it. Cause yep. I mean, so you have five minutes to go put it on someone. And if you don't, then you're out literally. And that's the difference. It's like, do you want this or not?
0: And again, this will be December seventh at the Save Mart Center in Fresno, California. Live on DAZN. Winner gets one hundred grand. By the way, do you plan to keep commentating as your fighting career resumes? You're going to do both.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to do both. And they know that, that I'm going to be fighting again. So, you know, there's some shows that I'm not going to be able to, to make it to because I'll be in training camp and it will be too close to the fight. And But then there's also going to be times where I'm not going to be fighting and I'll be commentating. So it works out really well. You know, they they work with my schedule. They're they're a great organization to be working for. I couldn't be th- more blessed and proud.
0: What do you think this, like, why is Combate America's um, surging? If you had to explain it to somebody, um, how how would you identify the cause of their ascension?
3: Easy, easy. Latinos are on the rise. Latinos are coming up, and it's our time to shine, and Latinos are taking over, and these fighters fight their asses off. And we like to say this phrase— like a mexican you know and i mean it might sound uh, you take it how for however you want but mexicans work their asses off and they're not gonna stop and they're not gonna quit and you're literally gonna have to kill them in order to get them to stop so these fighters are literally putting it all all on the line they're honored to be fighting at such a high uh profile and, and such a high platform and um they fight their asses off and and they know that their asses are on the line if you don't fight your ass off you're out you know so they're honored to be to be fighting on you know Telemundo, Univision, on on the Zone, and and they fight like it. And you could literally see that if you just watch you know one show, you'll see that we have a high high um, finish rate in all of our fights.
0: Do you do you as you travel because I know some of these these shows take place obviously uh, in uh, Latin America. As you travel through. Do you see enough technical development? So the thing you're identifying is their willingness to compete, which I think is beyond question at this point, certainly. But are you seeing enough gyms popping enough, enough technical development? To what extent are best practices making their way south of the border, so to speak?
3: You know, I think that that's a thing, and boxing was such a huge thing in Mexico for so long, and, and now it's getting to the point where it's kind of being a, a dead thing. Boxing's not as popular, and MMA, there's so many other ways to win, and so I think that what's interesting about these these Latino fighters is is that they're stand-up fighters. They don't necessarily have all of the ground, technical skill, all of the wrestling, but that's okay because we like to see them bang it out and stand on the feet and knock each other out. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're standing on the feet. They don't want to go to the ground. And if they do go to the ground and if they're on the ground for too long, you know, they, they stall and then they get picked back up on the feet until a knockout happens again, you know? So I think that's also something different. We like to say this thing in combate mucho más acción, which means a lot more action. There's always action, action, action going on. And once they go to the ground and they're just kind of, you know, laying on top of each other. We're like, nah, stand back up. And then they fight again because that's the way that they fight. They fight on the feet, you know, and they really do bang it out. And I think that that's what kind of segregates us from different organizations is that we're not letting them stay on the ground forever. We want these guys to slug it out on the feet and and they want to slug it out on the feet too. So, I mean, it works out for everyone.
0: Uh, I know Max Bretos from uh, his work at ESPN. We actually spoke recently. Uh, because he he's trying to do some other things, and he hit me up about it. What is it like working with him? He's an interesting character. I-
3: I love max i I, I feel like uh, you know since I've been working with Combate, I've had a lot of play by plays, and Max is by far my favorite. He's such a professional. he's so good at what he does and and he makes it so much fun you know he he makes my job easier and and he like I said, he's such a professional and and um I couldn't i I'm always telling him I'm always telling him please you know um, make sure that you're at the next show you know because i I feel like I can't do it without him now.
0: You know I, don't, I last time we spoke I don't know if you remember this probably not in which case don't worry it, it doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Um we spoke very briefly about the situation in Venezuela which was not great at the time and has certainly been um what's well, gotten worse since then. I'm wondering as you as you watch what's happening in your native country to a degree and where your family's from what like, what, what goes through your mind. Yeah, you
3: know, it's it's really it's really taxing for me because you know you see your family members that are, are having trouble. And actually I just received my cousin about a month ago, who's coming back to Chicago with me. Um, he's been held up at gunpoint three times. And the third time he thought that he was going to literally be killed, his car was stolen. And, and like I said, imagine being held up at gunpoint three different occasions. It's, it's terrifying. Um, you know, they're being, their food is being rationed out. He, he just had a friend actually that, their house was being broken into, the man that he worked with, his coworker, worker uh, confronted these people that were breaking into their house, shattered the glass, and he lives with his parents, so he was trying to make sure that his parents were okay, they, they knocked him unconscious, and they shot him in the heart right then and there, and they robbed him, you know, and these things are occurring every single day, your food portions are being rationed out to the point where you only get a kilo of sugar per two months, you know, you're fighting over a roll of toilet paper, these people are literally being murdered, they're being starved to death, um, the water systems don't work, the like lights and electricity are going out all the time. Their garbage is not being picked up off the street, and the garbage is just mounting and mounting and mounting. I mean, the problems are just so unimaginable. I couldn't even imagine living like that, and it it truly breaks my heart, honestly. And it makes me feel like I want to help them. I want to do what I can, but the thing is, is so corrupt over there. So you go to to make boxes to deliver to your family and they get received at the border. And then the police or the government is going to rummage through all that and take everything out of there and give it to their families instead of giving it to the families that you're sending it to. So everything is just so corrupt over there. And it's just, it's terrible. It's God awful. A lot of my family has moved to Chile and tried to move out to get away from the violence and to get away from the crime, but it it is truly bad and it really needs um, more attention. And I, wish that I could do more to to put more attention on that. And I just feel like I haven't found enough help um, in that area as much as I would like to, to shed more light on what is truly going on. But I mean, if anybody's listening to this and has any sort of pointers for me to be able to to help, um, I would love to hear from you.
0: Yeah. They could use all the help they can get. By the way, your cousin that's coming here, did they, did he or she move permanently? Like is a way to just get out of Venezuela?
3: Uh, he is an engineer. He has an engineering degree, so he's on a work visa. So he will have to go back, but eventually he'll come back again.
0: Man, there's some people I know in my town who tried to declare asylum, and I don't know if that's going to work or not. But I certainly hope. Well, I got to tell you, uh, I don't want to end this on a sour note, as as uh, important and serious as that issue may be. I got to say, Juliana, MMA, MMA's missed you. It's going to be good to have you back, and certainly if, if folks can catch you on December seventh, talking about Cope Combate, Cope uh, Combate for um, this uh, one night. Featherweight Tournament, but I got to say in terms of you competing, I think it's a good time to come back too, don't you?
3: Uh, Yeah, I definitely do, but you know, it's also really nice to know that I've been missed. You guys want to see me fight, and that makes my heart happy.
0: Fair enough. All right, I'll let you go. Juliana, I really appreciate it. Congratulations on the Copa, um, excuse me, the Combate Americas gig, and uh, December 7th, can't come soon enough. Thank you so much for your time.
3: Thank you, and all those people out in Fresno, come check out the show. It's going to be amazing.
0: There it is. Fair enough. Thank you, Juliana. There she goes. We'll be back, but first, on New Year's Eve, the Professional Fighters League will be making history, finishing the $10 million season in New York City live on NBC Sports Network. Six weight classes, six epic world finishes, million-dollar fights, six lives will be changed forever. Plus, the biggest name in women's mixed martial arts, two-time U.S. Olympic gold medalist, Kayla Harrison will be in a special event bout. All on one groundbreaking night, the Professional Fighters League Championship will be held on Monday, December 31st at the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden. Watch live coverage exclusively on the NBC Sports Network starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time or get your tickets now at Ticketmaster.com. All right. Yeah, there are various charities if you wanted to donate any money to the folks in Venezuela. um, I don't know what the best ones are. I'm going to imagine that the Red Cross is one of them. I've given money to one that tries to, um, well, help a lot of different causes. But one of them is uh, there's like starving animals in the streets. And these are ones that try to collect them and uh, give them some kind of health care and food. So I've given some money to, that, to them, but obviously there's a gazillion people that could use your money as well. I've given some money to some of those charities too. Uh, it's a ridiculously awful situation right here in the uh, Western Hemisphere, and I don't think it gets a lot of discussion, and it's going to impact. Uh, it's going to destabilize that entire region, and it's going to impact a lot of different people. So it's unfortunate, but they could use your help if you've got any uh, help to give. We are going to transition here in just a moment, I believe. We had our first two guests on phone. I think our next two guests are going to be on Skype. Fingers crossed, knock on wood. But I didn't even realize this again until I was sort of like looking into the details about it. It's two shows that Bellator is putting on uh, in Hawaii. The big one that's getting a little bit more attention, of course, is going to be Bellator 213. That's going to be at Blaisdell Arena on the 15th of this month. But then there's one before that, December 14th, Bellator and USO present Premise versus Chandler 2. So it's two shows that freaking Bellator is bringing to Hawaii. How about that, man? They're not just coming for a one and done. They're doing both. All right. He joins us now on our Skype machine, former Bellator lightweight champion, maybe soon to be again. There he is, the Mizzou Tiger himself, Michael Chandler. Hi, Michael. Eating that food. (laughs) Can you hear me or no? Hi, Michael. Looking diesel. There he is. What's up, man? What's up, Luke? How are you? Doing well. Look at you, all diesel.
4: I can. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, I can hear you. He's like eight What's minutes up? behind. What's up? How are you? Me. Good, good. All right, let's get this going. Dude, Here we are.
4: Living the dream, man. Living the dream. Excited to get, get out there.
0: Go. All right, so are you, by the way, in Tennessee? Hey, are you man. in Nashville? That's that's the name of the game. He's like eight minutes behind me. Are, are you in Nashville? Yeah, let's call him back. Let's call him back. Why don't we put the screen up again? Because he's like I'm in Florida,
4: and it does look like you're a few (laughs) seconds behind. So yeah,
0: um, time out, time out, time out. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna call him (laughs) call him back. He's a little bit behind for that to work. If it doesn't work, we'll just put him on phone. It's fine too. It's okay. Uh, See old Michael Chandler just sitting there eating, drinking protein shakes, looking swole, son, out there in the weight room putting in work. All right, they're going to restart the scout machine and then get him back on. As I mentioned, by the way, so there's the two cards. Two cards. You know the big one Bellator 213, McFarlane versus Laterno. That's going to be the Neil S. Blaze del Arena. Blaze del Arena. That's, uh, let's see, that's McFarlane versus Laterno, Machida versus Carvalho, Neiman Gracie, Ed Ruth, part of the uh, welterweight tournament. Then you have Mo LaWall taking on Liam McGeary. And then it opens with Kona Oliveira taking on Nai- Naya Nona. Naya Noah Dung, that's the name. I don't know. How to, I forget. Forgive me. I don't know how to pronounce the name. Then the night before that, Primus Chandler Mir versus Javi Ayala, Alejandro Lara taking on Juliana Vasquez, and then Derek Campos taking on Sam Cecilia. By the way, I think uh, Chris Avila fights on that card as well on the prelims. So two cards back to back night. Bellator seems to like doing this. They did it last week. They've done it before. Bellator two ten. Bellator two eleven. And they're going to do it again with Bellator 212, Bellator 213. So a bunch uh, of Bellator coming your way. And Michael Chandler, of course, has been on a bit of a mission since the last premise fight, which was, of course, the Bellator NYC. I was there for that. He beat Go- Goichi Yamauchi, Bellator 192, back in January, and then beat Brandon Gertz April of 2013, excuse me, April of 2018 in his last fight. So this is the bit of the return since then. As for one premise, I believe he hasn't fought Since then, age 33, yes, he hasn't fought since June of 2014, 17, excuse me. So it's been a bit of a while for him. This is going to be kind of interesting to get this back. And I have to say, I've said this before, I'm so happy to see uh, big promotions back in Hawaii. Like, What's the big deal about having a big promotion in Hawaii? It's actually pretty simple. This is a place that used to be home to some of the biggest fights that mixed martial arts had to offer. Big fights happened there. And then, when the UFC consolidated, and there was a general contraction in the market in terms of the outside UFC promotions. But when the UFC consolidated, they were just deprived essentially of promoters who were able to put on shows of significance. But it used to be a place where you had Icon Sport, Rumble and the Rock, Super Brawl, the whole bit. And I mean, more than that, you had Elite XC that was out there as well. And so it was just a place where a ton of MMA history at a significant level was happened or had happened. And then it all kind of went away. It all kind of went away. But now that the UFC seems to be loosening the reins a little bit on some of their talent and you're seeing that disperse to some of these orga- other organizations, now some of these other organizations are able to be in a position where they can stage shows and fights of significance. And I think that's what you're seeing here. Um, so I'm pretty excited for that. It's nice to see Hawaii back in action. All right, let's give them one more try here if we can Let's go to our friend Michael Chandler back on the Skype. There he is. Michael, can you hear me? Yes. Can you Yes. Hear me? There man. we are. How are you, sir?
4: Man, I am living the dream, man. It's always awesome. These fight camps are so crazy because they start off, you have this long road ahead of you, and then all of a sudden you get within these last two weeks, you're chomping at the bit. I'm ready to fight tomorrow, I'm ready to make weight tomorrow. So I'm just on cloud nine, man. Everything's firing on all cylinders and I'm ready to go.
0: Are you ever not jacked and happy?
4: Uh, yeah, well, uh, a couple of years ago, when I went three uh, three losses in a row, 688 days without a win, I had a nice little rough patch uh, back then. But since then, recalibrated, uh, reconditioned, and ready to go. So, uh, no, man, life is life is extremely good. I'm just extremely blessed. So, I'm extremely extremely blessed to be able to do what I do. So, thank you for these kinds of opportunities, man. This is this is awesome. All
0: right, so let's talk about this. I always want to do this whenever I reconnect with you because I can never keep it straight. I know you were building a gym in nashville but you tell me you're in florida so what's the training situation you're currently in what's the arrangement so i'm
4: currently in someone else's home down in florida sleeping in someone else's bed um down here in a vrbo uh, vacation rental uh, i was just in nashville this past weekend mainly uh to see my wife and son uh because going too long without seeing them is just not good for my heart you know um so it's it's one of those things where I've got such a great opportunity and such a short window of opportunity and such a great training training uh, scenario down here with Henry Hoop and Greg Jones and Kami Barzini and and these coaches um, and then the training partners from guys at the top of the UFC guys at the top of Bellator that um, I'm kind of back and forth you know but I do have uh, training camp in my gym in Nashville which is thriving and doing awesome with our MMA programs and our group fitness I actually just went back this past weekend and, and ran one of our our classes, our Iron pile classes. So, I love connecting with them. We got an awesome group group there, and I got an awesome kind of Florida family down here and Tennessee family up there, fitness community. So it's life is good. I'm kind of between both places, but when it comes down to uh, training for this fight, I'm down here most of the time.
0: All right, that makes sense. Uh, is the goal to someday just have everything in Nashville? You know,
4: I I always go back and forth. But yeah, the goal is the goal is to build. I mean, we have. We have 3,500 square foot of mat space, um, 20 bags. We have we have a world class mixed martial arts training facility as well as a world class group fitness facility. So I mean we have we have everything we need to build a build an awesome phenomenal team in Nashville. We just opened seven months ago, so obviously these things are going to take time. But as I continue to grow the uh, as I continue to grow the MMA program, as I continue to hire great coaches, recruit great training partners, the goal is to be able to have a full time stable training environment there and then i mean henry henry hoofton these guys Kami and greg these guys are these guys are my the coach is going to be my coaches i think for the for the rest of my career so they i will never get away from them so i will always be with them and training with them for these fights so it'll be it'll be interesting
0: you you hopped around early in your career earlier i should say and now you seem kind of steady what changed
4: you know i think i think one thing and i was talking to you know, I don't forget who I was talking about the other day when you talk about loyalty or you talk about, you know, team or camaraderie or this or that. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a individual sport. Um, I am smart enough to realize that I have a short window of opportunity. And if I sacrifice that short window of of opportunity because of quote unquote loyalty or quote unquote this or quote unquote that, um, I'm really doing a disservice to myself, my wife and who was my future child at the time, but and that was my, my son. Um, and to sacrifice that, I, I just wasn't going to do it. So hopping around for me was what's the best training situation, the best training scenario for me, for the individual. And if, I, if I'm firing all cylinders, if I'm where I need to be happy, healthy, and hard, hard to kill, um, that's going to elevate whatever team I'm with. That's going to put my, my family in a, in a financially stable situation. And at the end of the day, this is an individual sport. I will, I will be the first to admit that I'm selfish, but I will also be the first guy to give my shirt off the back, off my back and be the guy who comes in early with you or stays late with you and gives myself to the team and whatever team that I'm with. So this sport and being a, looking at the sport like a business and, and a professional athlete or professional fighter, you have to find that fine line between juggling your individual goals and needs with the individual or the, the goals of the, the team that you're with as a whole. And I've, I've tried to do that, and I've been a favorite and a, and a fun guy and a leader in every single gym that I've been in, and it's working well for me, and I don't plan on stopping now.
0: You ever faced any blowback for jumping around?
4: What's blowback, man? It's 2018, man. We're getting blowback right now for the shirt I'm wearing and the fact that my walls are white or, and the fact that you've got a black shirt on. I mean, everyone, everyone has an opinion. Everyone wants to say something, but at the end of the day, this sport's about me, you know, and I'm not afraid to admit that. And I think anybody who who has been in the sport long enough realizes that I'm the talent, I'm the fighter. I step in the cage. I can't do it without my coaches, my training partners, my, my support system, but I have to make the best decision. So the blowback doesn't mean a thing. Um, Everybody's getting blowback, whether you're at the top, the bottom or somewhere in the middle. So you get in this sport long enough, you got, you get thick skin, thick, thick enough skin to realize that what people are saying doesn't really matter. And, Things are working well for me, and you can hate me from afar and blow back as long as you want.
0: So that's a yes.
4: (laughs) That's a yes. No, I mean, I mean, kind of. I mean, yeah, I mean, kind of. But, but, but that's kind of the thing. Everyone loves to insert their their opinions. So I mean, it's kind of one of those things where I just I'm enjoying the ride and enjoying anything anybody says about me.
0: All right, so let's talk about something that's kind of interesting that's happened. I was bringing it up, noting that you're going to be fighting in Hawaii against uh, Brent Primus. I want to talk about that in just a second. But you're an interesting case, and here's what I mean. So the UFC appears to be letting the, their clutch on the reins of all the talent in MMA glow a little bit. Uh, Bellator's made some key acquisitions. You know about all of them. Sage Northcutt just signed with one. Eddie Alvarez, your former opponent, signed with one. Uh, De- Demetrius Johnson and some others but they're still a little bit different, right? Because Sage is kind of pre-prime, and I've this before, it's not a slight, but I don't think Alvarez and Demetrius Johnson, while still very, very good fighters, I don't think they're at their absolute peak. But you did spend your prime, and currently in your prime, outside of the UFC. But it seems to have worked out for you. Like, when you look around at MMA now, like do you look back on your experience and staying with Bellator? I'm going to guess you have no regrets about it, but I'm wondering if you could speak about it.
4: Yeah, I wouldn't say that I have any regrets. I, I'd be lying to say that my head doesn't hit the pillow and, and I don't think about these matchups that that could possibly await me in my future or could have could have I could have taken the opportunity to to take the, 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 the reins of had I tested free agency and, and looked at other other possibilities. Um, but that mainly comes from the fans. That mainly comes from everybody. Constantly reaching out to me and tweeting and saying dream matchup this, dream matchup that. Now we're talking about trades. Oh God, I want to see Khabib and Chandler, and I want to see this and this guy and Chandler and blah blah blah. So of course, it, it plants that what if in your head. But man, when you talk about making a business business decisions, when you talk about slowly but surely, brick by boring brick, building a brand that's going to last and building a brand that that is going to be extremely lucrative for the short window of opportunity. And I keep bringing up a short window of opportunity because. You're a downright fool if you think that, you, that this is a, a long career and that and that it can't be all snatched away from you at, at, at a moment's notice. So, you have to make the best decision you can with the information that you're given. And I've done that time and time again. Myself, my manager, we've protected ourselves, we put ourselves in good, situ- good, good scenarios. I've made myself somewhat of an indispensable asset by, by being the greatest employee Bellator has ever had and probably will ever have when you talk about talent, excitement. And composure outside of the cage, and being a good brand ambassador outside of the cage, and it's it's just it's simple. It's simple. A plus B equals C. Um, you do the right thing. You work extremely hard. You put on exciting fights. You make yourself an indispensable asset. And you know when when the when people come knocking at the door, you you figure out what what's next, and you you see what's next. And by the way, I'm by no means. Um, a spring chicken, a young spring chicken, but I'm by no means even close to past my prime. I think I'm still getting faster, still getting stronger, still getting more athletic. I'm eating my chicken and broccoli. I'm drinking my supplements. I'm taking care of my body. This body will last till I'm 37, 38, 40 years old if I wanted to. I think my best days of fighting are still years ahead of me. So, if you think that this last contract that I signed was the last contract that I'm going to sign, you're certainly mistaken. I have a lot of a lot of gas left in the tank, a lot of big matchups in my future, and I'm excited to see how everything unfolds.
0: Darian Caldwell, the Bantamweight champion of Bellator, is going to be heading over to Japan, taking on Kyoji Horiguchi. You must have seen that, because I know you, Michael. You must have seen that and thought, ooh, I need to call Scott. I need to put that on his radar. That might be something I'm interested in doing, right? Immediately, man. I mean, I... Uh, <laughs> You know, I got the the opportunity, the blessing
4: of fighting Akihiro Gono and retiring him. Like I was that young guy coming up, and he was a guy who was a little bit, you know, kind of I think maybe past his prime, and his last fight was against me, and I finished him the first round. And, and with that, and the couple a couple of the Japanese fans that I've spoken to, or the Japanese managers that I've spoken to, they're like, Man, you got a huge fan a huge following over in Japan. You know, people people love you because of that gono fight, blah blah blah. I would love to headline. A show at the Saitama, what's it called? Saitama, Arena. Saitama, Saitama
0: Saitama Super Arena, yeah.
4: Saitama Super Arena in a ring, maybe wearing wrestling shoes if that's still allowed. You know, like something like. I mean, these days, I mean, it, it's it's about the big fights, the big opportunities, um, the eyeballs. It's about it's about what gets you. What gets me excited? You know, fighting Patricky Pitbull for the third time doesn't get me excited. Fighting David Rickles for the third time doesn't get me excited. You know, like there's a couple fights. There's, there's definitely fights in the lightweight division that get me excited. Um, some of these young guys coming up, Patricio down at 45, some of the guys up at 70. I mean, there's there's some some definite things that, that get me excited. And Bellator has continued to sign, like as you alluded to earlier, sign top-tier talent. And not just not just guys that are over the hill, but Ryan Bader, who was ranked top five in the world whenever he came over. Same thing with Phil Davis and Benson Henderson, Rory McDonald, and this, this welterweight tournament. Bellator, and I knew this – Last contract I signed, and then this contract I signed. Bellator has continued to evolve and continue to grow, and continue to put the right pieces in place. And just because Bellator wasn't where it was at when people wanted it to be where it was at, it's continued to grow and continue to build. And we got some legitimate, we got some legitimate mixed martial arts promotions out there. It's not just the UFC anymore. So it's exciting. It's exciting to see the growth of everything. And yes, I want cross promotions. I want trades. I want um, all kinds of different things happening. I want, I want this MMA landscape to turn into kind of the wild turn back into the wild, wild west and let's have some fun, man.
0: Last question about this before we get to your premise fight. We're running short on time here a little bit. Did Rory McDonald uh, in his fight against Musashi dissuade you a little bit about moving up?
4: Uh, I I wouldn't say that fight. I mean, I wouldn't say that fight in general. I mean, if you're talking about a smaller opponent going up and fighting a, a bigger opponent, I mean, yeah, of course, that's, that's always the, that's always the fear. That's always the, you know, the, the, the scary part about coming up. Um, Rory's, you know, six, two and 199 pounds, probably. Um, but you know, I, I just want big fights. I want exciting fights. It's, it's exciting to see. You know, I'm excited to watch this welterweight tournament. See what the see what the fallout looks like. See what see who ends up shining at the, at the end. And either way, I'm excited to go out there and get that lightweight strap. Um, and then there's hopefully some big matchups after that. And I, I have continued to talk to Scott and Rich and these guys about signing big talent at 155. So we'll see. All
0: right. So let's talk about this. Brent Premis will be facing him December 14th at the Blaisdell Arena in Hawaii. You have fought twice since then. You've won both. He has not fought since, since you guys faced each other. Why? What do you make of that?
4: <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think the proof is in the pudding. Uh, we both have been fighting the same amount of time. Actually, I think he's been fighting one year longer than I have because he started an amateur career, and he has eight fights, and I have 22. Um, he averages 0. .4, 0. .5 uh, fights per year basically. So he doesn't even fight. He doesn't even average one fight per year. It's, it's a little bit sad to be honest with you. Um, but good for him. You know, he's put himself in a great situation. I gave him the opportunity to fight at Madison square garden, the most iconic arena in the entire world. And he went out there and was able to get a win, a win over me, um, in the biggest stage of both of our lives. And now he gets the, he gets the opportunity to have a free, um, a free Hawaiian vacation. Uh, he just has to get beat up to uh, earn it. So it's, uh, everything's working out well for him. He's doing his thing. I'm on my way to the top, and I'm uh, I'm not really focused on. You know, talking about him is is a little tough for me because, first of all, he he can't defend himself um, because I just I don't. There's nothing really positive that he can say. There's nothing there's nothing of substance that he can say that doesn't sound like complete BS because he is a part-time fighter and he doesn't fight a lot and he doesn't deserve to step in the cage with me. So I try. I've gotten these over this last training camp. I've decided there's really not a ton of things to say about him. Besides the fact that I'm going to go out there, and I've never actually wanted to inflict as much bodily harm on another individual as I do for this fight, I've always wanted to win. I've always wanted to be dominant. I've always wanted to score points. I've always wanted to be dominant, but I've never actually wanted to beat someone within an inch of their life and watch them gasp for air and question their whole entire life. This is that fight. This is the fight that. This is the fight that that is going to happen.
0: So, what is it? Is it the the sense that there's a rivalry there that you haven't had the chance to get your title back? That it's uh, you thought that the win was a fluke? Like, what is the source exactly of the animosity? Because maybe he was talking at first, but I haven't heard from him in a, in a little bit of a while. So, what what is the source of the hostility?
4: I think yeah. I mean, there is no rivalry. There is no there is no oh, this is going to be a good fight. Let's be let's call a spade a spade. This is a world class mixed martial artist going out there and fighting. Fighting a, a guy who, who can't even hold his opponent's jockstrap, you know that that's what this is. Um, and I'm going to go out there and finish him in the first round, and that's going to be that. But I think it's I think it's just a, a culmination of everything. The fact that I've had to wait for so long. I mean, most of the time, most of the time when you have that kind of scenario happen, an injury, an injury um, is the res, or a win is, is by the result of an injury. Most of the time, it's an immediate rematch, right? And we begged for the fight. I begged for the fight, um, and we just couldn't make it happen. So I fought the young, the 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 highest le- highest touted prospect in the lightweight division, and Goiti Yamauchi, beat him within an inch of his life, and then went out there and finished Brandon Gertz. Since then, as all the while begging for, to get this fight back, and the fact that he's been sitting up in Oregon, sitting on this belt, teaching kids jujitsu, is just. It's a travesty. It's 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 holding up the division. He needs to just re, he needs to just step into that cage, um, take his beating like a, like the man like a man he is. And uh, I, I just think that's what needs to happen. And um, it's gonna be violent.
0: Well, you have certainly sold me. It's uh, December fourteenth. Bellator and USO present Premise versus Chandler two. It's the main event. It'll air on Paramount Network and DAZN. Michael Chandler, stay tan and jacked. Good, sir. Hey,
4: always, if you ain't tanning Jack, you ain't doing it right.
0: (laughs) There he goes. All right, thank you so much to him. And we go to our last, but certainly not our least guest. I am so excited about this, man. We're talking about one of the most positive guys in martial arts, makes a big difference in everybody's life, does so much good work in the community, and is a trainer to one of the top stars in the sport. We're joined now on Skype by the inimitable Henner Gracie. There he is. Look at that. How you doing, Henner?
5: What's up, Luke?
0: (laughs) <laughs> Where are you? Are you at the Gracie Academy?
5: I'm here at Gracie University headquarters, yeah, Southern California.
0: Boy, you want to talk about a rock-solid Skype connection. Look at that, HD. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. Uh, all right, man, let's get to this. First of all, are you, uh, you're going to be cornering, Brian, I'm, assume, I'm assuming on Saturday, right? That's correct, yes. When do you head out there?
5: We head out Tuesday. Standard procedure show up Tuesday, workouts Wednesday. Cut the weight. Maybe press conference Thursday, weigh in Friday, fight Saturday, fly home Sunday, and celebrate.
0: <laughs> Certainly. All right. Let's talk about this uh, this moment for uh, Brian. You as his trainer uh, seems like his friend and mentor. Before I ask what it means for Brian, what does it actually mean for you to see one of your students ascend to heights like this?
5: Well, it's not just right one of your students, and you know everyone's asking me, you know, how excited we are for the belt and what a big deal this is this weekend. And I, I smile and I nod and I go, Yeah, yeah, it's exciting, you know. But the reality is, and this is true for anyone who's known Brian since he, you know, since he was a kid. Um, and for me, it was when he was twelve, thirteen years old when he first came in for class after having got after having um, gotten beat up in a street fight and then signed up just to learn how to defend himself. Uh, anyone who knows Brian from that era knows that Brian already won the title. Have made it out of the, the challenges that he faced, and the the, the the difficult circumstances for him and his family that he faced early on, and and really the life that he lived, which which was was not by any means a, a positive one, um, you know, by conventional standards. For Brian to have made it out of what he was involved with, and to now be competing as a professional athlete on the level that he's competing at, he already won. So for me, I look at this and I go, oh man, this is like this is all extra because there were, there, were, there were many times throughout his earlier years where we didn't know if Brian was going to make it out. You know, there were times where I wouldn't see him for three months at a time because of, of, of challenges and, you know, I'm drug, not drugs, but gangs and other things that he was involved with. Um, no drugs, to be clear, um, but gangs and other things that he was involved with um, back then. And it was just such a negative lifestyle that I wouldn't hear about him for three months and he would show up and he would say, man, I lost one of my best friends who just got shot. And I'm like thinking all I can think is, man, it's your best friend right now. At some point, it could be you. And it was a very you know, interesting balance of being there for him as a teacher and, and as a, someone who could listen to him and can, he can help him reflect and try to make the right choices. Um, so for me, you know, listen, we're already celebrating. This is already the being here is already a victory itself. And yes, winning the UFC featherweight championship. Would be, would, be, would be phenomenal, um, really for Brian, right? I'm just so excited for him, knowing what he came from, that this would be something so meaningful for him and his family.
0: Given the background and given his sterling ability to just blow through the division in the way that he did, had some tough moments, but certainly he came out on top, right? How unique of a student is Brian Ortega?
5: Well, so, listen, Brian, what made him most unique, it was never his athleticism. It was never his power or his speed. Uh, it, w- it was Brian's ability to absorb information and then implement um, you know, at, at a faster rate than really anyone else. And this, this started very early on and we noticed it from the very beginning. Uh, even as a kid, he was doing adult classes, but he was only 13 years old, training with grown men. And we would show him a technique and he would nail it, nail it, nail it, nail it. And within his first year, Brian was the kid that if you showed up, let's just say to Gracie uh, the Academy back then, and you wanted to try a class and you're a big guy and you show up and say, yeah, I'm not sure if this stuff works. i would be like, okay, go roll with the little blue blue-eyed skinny kid over there. And Brian would choke you out in you know, just a few minutes, and then you would sign up. So he was like our, you know, our undercover enforcer back then, and, uh, and that's where I gave him the nickname Triangle or T-City. Uh, triangle City was the original name, and then it got too long to say, too much of a mouthful, and I just started calling him T-City because he would just triangle choke everyone. They would grab him, they would manhandle him until they were tapping out. And uh, and that just became the case. And it started with triangles and now it's evolved to so many other skill sets that we've developed over the years. And he's utilized so effectively there in uh, in the UFC. But it really it's an implementation speed that is unique. And, and I've seen it with other top talent that I've worked with. But uh, but Brian really does stand alone in his ability to learn something and then apply it in the chaos. Right. And that's why, you know, for so many other fighters, when they get deep into that, you know, second, third and now fourth and fifth round, the championship rounds, um, Brian hasn't been tested there too much, but when they get deeper into the fight, things start to get, you know, more predictably sluggish and ineffective Whereas Brian, he's just as dangerous in the third round as he is in the first round. And we know based on his, you know, unique records of, you know, consecutive third round finishes that he holds. Um, it, there's no surprise to me that that's a record that he holds because of the fact that, uh, he thrives in the chaos. He thrives in the less than favorable circumstances.
0: How would you describe his jujitsu to somebody who just didn't have a uh, just didn't know exactly what they were looking at? You know, it's amazing. I I was saying this to uh, we had Max on earlier in the show. I went back and I watched all of Brian's fights in the UFC. I tried to explain to people usually a submission, you have to sometimes you can snatch it, but you usually have to like build towards it. You have to take steps to get there. And it's not that he doesn't, but when he finds a head or he finds an arm, he just locks into the groove immediately. It's very rare you can find someone like that. As, as his predominant trainer in this regard, how would you describe, it's a broad question, how would you describe his jiu-jitsu? Man, it's tough, but um, one way to think about it is if you
5: were, if you put you know, two jiu-jitsu practitioners inside of like a large barrel and you close it at the top of a hill and then you roll that barrel down the hill By the time the barrel got to the bottom of the hill, Brian would have the other person in a chokehold. So Brian has a unique ability where jujitsu is, even though jujitsu is seemingly to the spectator, a very unpredictable sport where they're just wrestling and flying all over the place, it actually is very systematic. And what Brian has done well is he's taken a non-systematic approach to the systematic art of jujitsu. And in that sense, he's setting techniques up and he's catching submissions and creating opportunities out of less conventional positions, holds, grips, and, and that, um, that creativity, that freedom to express, that's very artistic in a way, uh, is what's unique about Brian, is that he doesn't set up a triangle choke in the way that everyone else set up a triangle choke. And he's not setting up a darts or a guillotine choke in the way that everyone else is setting it up. And many of these unique setups, we talk about, right, uh, in the gym here, and we go over them, and we practice them, and we try to you know, prepare for them, but many of them we don't talk about. Many of them he wasn't taught these. And many of them he didn't do it for the first time until the actual fight happens. And that's what's unique is Brian is is, is not limited by any form or structure. He's the most fluid um, person when it comes to applying these techniques in a dynamic, ever-changing fight um, against the opponent. So that's what I would say is creativity with setups. He's not following the, the, the conventional patterns, and that's what makes him so hard to train for.
0: You know what I also like about Brian is he's got swag, you know? He's a young guy, good-looking kid. He's got uh, confidence about him. But in an age, and you know this, Henner, even in the jujitsu world, it's like, oh, my God, it's just everyone's trolling everybody else, and there's these ridiculous things that happen on social media. He sort of stays above the fray, doesn't he? So he's the cool guy, but without having to resort to – he doesn't get too far away from being a martial artist while being a fighter. And I think in a day and age like this, that's rare and – it's it's a it's a it's a welcome refresher.
5: Yeah, and I think it's uh, I think you just nailed it on the head there at the end. Uh, MMA has created something very interesting, right? Where the elements that make up MMA are martial arts, but now after twenty five years, MMA, the the acronym is a sport of its own, is an entity of its own. So it's also a spectator sport of its own, and there are many people today who are coming up in 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 MMA. Without the, the the values, the integrity, the respect, and the discipline that martial arts provides. And no one's perfect, right? Even the most martial artists of martial arts in MMA are not perfect people. But you can tell when there is a when there is a thread and there is a there is there is an element to their training and their upbringing in the arts, that is actually the martial arts, right? The traditions and the values of martial arts that were so common before mixed martial arts when everyone practiced their individual karate, taekwondo, jujitsu, kung fu, and they were all segmented. But now that it's been 25 years of a kind of a combined uh, entity, there are people who are only a product of that entity and are just learning from their 25 year old kids today who were not even born when the UFC started, let's just say. And now they're a product of that mentality where it's about money, it's about fighting, it's about violence, it's about entertainment, where martial artists, it's not about any of that. It's about self-defense discipline, and, and, and ultimately, um, you know, even empathy to a certain extent, right? Like one of the greatest elements of jiu-jitsu is the ability to neutralize violence without violence. So we teach that to our students, and Brian learned that his whole life. So what you're seeing now is someone who's, who has the spotlight but still has those martial arts values before MMA, the sport, even though he's applying it in the context of the sport, which is beautiful to see. And you see with many others, and one that immediately jumps out is a guy like Lyoto Machida, who is the most consummate martial artist and most respectful person in the cage, yet he's competing in a sport of MMA. And the question is, why is that? Because he, like the Gracie family, is a multi-generational family of martial artists with those traditions and values. And I think that's, um, you know, today, unfortunately, it's kind of like the minority, If you, right? It's kind of, these martial artists have become the minority in a sport of MMA, which for better or worse has has somewhat, you know, stripped some of those values away. And it's understandable, uh, although it's unfortunate, And the other unintended and concerning byproduct of that is now you have civilians who are not professional competitors who are learning the sport of MMA but aren't getting those values. And they're basically being taught these weapons of mass destruction, right, chokes and arm bars and, you know, striking techniques and all the elements of MMA, but they're not being taught the values of martial arts. And as a result, they become liabilities to society. You see what I'm saying? Someone who learns martial arts and the respect that comes with it is not going to use it for the wrong reasons. But someone who learns the elements of MMA and does not have the respect or the integrity could very well use it for the wrong reasons. And we can contemplate what many of those reasons would be. We don't even need to. They can commit crimes with these very skills, as I've seen happen. And now with the very um, video recording society, we've seen videos of it. Right. So that's a big concern. But that's topic for a different day, I suppose.
0: Let's get back to Brian here for just a second. You know, Max is a tough fight for anybody, and you guys know that better than I do. You made a point about uh, Brian having this ability to uh, apply um, critical thinking skills in these really terrible, very difficult moments. What what makes, to me, in my mind, this fight so interesting is who's going to make the fight their kind of fight? Because as you know, Henner, Max is very, when he wants to be, because sometimes he'll just throw down, right? But when he wants to be, he can really sit behind the jab and move very carefully and mind the distance and shut down the takedown. That seems to be the biggest threat, right? If your guy thrives in chaos, the other guy can create a system where there is no chaos.
5: Yeah. So, you know, this is this is everyone's question, right? And listen, we have nothing but respect, you know, back to the martial values in this situation. The highest level of respect for Max and what he's accomplished and his talents as a fighter uh, I know Max's coach, um, Ryland Lazares and Gracie Technics there in Hawaii. Really good friend. Amazing jiu practitioner under Pedro Sauer there. So it's very much like all <laughs> in the family for this one. And, uh, and Max, you know, is, is an incredible striker. And yes, when he wants to, he can be very elusive, very hard to get a hold of. But I told Brian, I said, Brian, listen, what has happened is you have, um, you know, you've essentially done something very unique where initially he was simply a threat of uh, of submission, a hundred percent submission concern and and a threat there. Um, for initially, it was very much of a submission threat to the division. But what has happened is he came in, he knocked out, um, uh, he knocked out uh, Frankie Edgar, right? And when he did that, all of a sudden, the whole division is on notice now. And the question is, what do you watch out for, right? And I said, Brian, this is very, this is beautiful because it shows what how, what a, you know, amazing development you've had in your striking game with coach James there and and, and the rest of his team. So he's done something very beautiful where, you know, someone who's never been finished gets knocked out on their feet in the first round. And you have, you know, arguably the tightest jujitsu submission in MMA right now. So it creates a situation where he's threatening in both categories. And and it really boils down to, yeah, what, what kind of fight they want to make it. Um, What's my favorite part about the whole fight, because there's so much to not be predictable about this is that we have five rounds, you know, and I think that that's, that's, that's very interesting and, and in very and in my opinion, knowing what I know about Brian, five rounds is an advantage because you know, like I said, we've seen it in in his three round fights for so many years where as the fight went on, he became more dangerous towards the end. and um, I suspect the same will be true as we creep into those championship rounds.
0: You know, it's amazing to me is if he gets I mean I have the highest level of respect for Max Holloway. if Brian beats him, Where do you think Brian would rank pound for pound? Because I honestly believe if you finish Frankie Edgar and you defeat or finish Max Holloway, holy crap, man, you are doing something very, very different than the rest of your contemporaries. Where would that put him?
5: Listen, it put him towards the top. Um, But you know, it's a lot of people outside like to speculate about that, but Brian's not speculating about that. Nor are we as as his closest, you know, um, coaches and friends. It's uh, it, it really is one fight at a time. And we have such a, such a a major feat here in Max Holloway and um, you know I'm as excited as everyone else to just see that these two artists go in there and do what they do best but I know that if he steals this deal it uh, it, I think it'll skyrocket him you know toward near the top of that
2: list.
0: Now before we uh, uh, say goodbye and we really appreciate your time I want to make sure we have to get this in you have launched uh, you and I believe Huron together if I'm not mistaken have launched a, a GoFundMe. It's called Justice for Jamal. I'm gonna tweet it out from my account. Hopefully we can get MMA Fine to retweet it. So let me see if I can understand this. There's a Syrian refugee who lives in the UK who was bullied. Why are you raising money for him?
5: Yeah, so um, we've done this in the past where kids who are who are who are really horrifically bullied in in wherever they live, um, and we become aware of it because oftentimes it's caught on video. Um you know, people let us know. We find out about it, and then we sponsor them to come to California to basically be bully-proofed, right? Because that's what we do as a, as a business every single day. Is we we empower people to take a stand and defend themselves. And we've done this successfully for other kids in the past, and this kids in the UK. And every time I've done it for other kids in the past, um, you know, after we do it, and we should put a video on the internet of the transformation and the before and after. It's remarkable. Literally, one week of training here at Gracie University. And everything changes for this child and their ability to assert themselves. And in many cases, they're never bullied again. Uh, in a recent case, Austin McDaniel, five years later, he became a Marine after graduating high school. After getting mm. beat up on this video, we pulled him in, we changed it, went to the Marines. And now he's just a monster, strong guy, he's handsome, athletic, and, and just, uh, just everything changed because something changed. And we see this kid, Jamal, who got really, really badly bullied, uh, him and his sister in the U.K. at their school. They're Syrian refugees living there. And we thought, wow, so many times people have asked us, how can they help us make these transformations more possible more frequently? And we saw this one and said, man, we can absolutely help him. And he's, a, he's dropped out of school. So everything is going down for this family right now. So we launched a GoFundMe campaign to raise the funds that would allow uh, Jamal, his sister, and his family to come to California, spend at least one week with us training here to really get him off to the right start and, and bully-proof him, build that confidence, give him the tools to defend himself on the highest level, and then send him back and then sponsor his continued training in the UK. So the reality is anyone who does jujitsu knows that's all this kid needs is, you know, some 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 attention, some good instruction and some motivation. And really the, the, the belief that he's worth defending and we can provide that, um, you know, with a week here in California. So we're going to make it happen. And uh, if you could you know, put out the link and people can donate there and any surplus funds. We're not charging for our time at all. We're going to fly them out. We're going to teach them for free. And these are all to cover travel expenses and training when they return back to the UK so they can keep this, this skill alive. And, uh, you know, and it's, it is a perishable skill, so we want to keep them going once we get them back to where they live.
0: Yeah, I just tweeted it out. We'll definitely make sure we get the, the word out about that. By the way, as a former Marine myself, I have to say thank you very much for doing that. You could change lives with martial arts. Before you go, uh, Henry, let me just ask you about this. Is a point I'll make and then I'll ask a question about it. I have to tell you, I'm not worried about the future of MMA, but I am worried that the kinds of really elite black belts that used to make their way over, the, uh, like a Brian Ortega, but certainly I'm thinking more of like a Demi and Maya, the, you know, a, 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 a Fabrizio Verdoom, these kinds of guys, a lot of them are just going to stay in jiu-jitsu now. They can make money that way, which is a good thing, right? You kind of want that to a degree. But I do wonder, like, what's going to happen to jiu-jitsu and MMA without them. However, I have to tell you, the UFC signing, Crone Gracie. Wow. You want to talk about good news. For folks who are not familiar with him, I know they, they, they just know him as Hickson's son. Even in MMA, his jiu-jitsu is almost without parallel. Can you just tell the audience what they're in store for with this kid, please?
5: Yeah. Um, so my cousin Crone just got signed to uh, the UFC. It's very exciting. People who don't know, just get ready for, for every touch every contact that is made to be a deadly one for, for his opponent. That's how dangerous it is. And I think that, you know, I think people see some of that with Brian, right? They feel that if he gets a hold of you, the fight's over, as Joe Rogan has said so enthusiastically. And, um, and, and that will continue to be the case when Chrome makes his way over to the UFC. Um, he's incredibly talented. He's been working a lot on his distance and his standing game. So, um, you know, he's, he's done incredibly well in Japan against some really tough opponents. So it's the perfect time to bring him over. Uh, I'm excited to see as much as anybody else. But, yeah, in terms of there is a difference. You're right. There is a difference in the jiu-jitsu. Um, there are lots of black belts. And then there are, you know, there is the, the, next, the, the next tier above that. And Krohn, and absolutely, um, you know, it falls under that category. So the world can be very excited to see someone who goes in there with a very specific plan, known to him, known to his opponents, but still unstoppable. And those are sometimes the most beautiful ones to watch.
0: Don't forget to donate to Justice for Jamal. They're almost there. They just need a little bit more of a donation, and they will reach their goal. It's for a phenomenal cause. Henner, it's a real thrill for me to get to talk to you. I could talk to you about jiu-jitsu theory and all this kind of stuff that's happening for a million years, but I know you're a busy man with a lot to do. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for making time for me. Everyone go donate to Justice for Jamal, and best of luck. Cannot wait to see you corner. I cannot wait to see Brian Ortega in action.
5: Thank you very much, everyone out there. Follow me, Henner Gracie, on Instagram, Twitter, and gracieuniversity.com. For anyone out there who's kind of couch surfing but not really getting down with jiu-jitsu, we got you covered.
0: There you go. One of the best. Henner Gracie. Thank you so much, Henner. There he goes. All right, man, what a thrill for me that is. Cannot wait for Saturday. I cannot wait for Saturday. It is going to be a ridiculous night of fights. All right, it is time now, ladies and gentlemen, for the sound off. Okay, there we go to my friend in the back. Yep. He is the, I don't know, what are you?
1: <laughs> yeah, at this point, I don't even know.
0: <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of some stupid ass comparison. But here you are, Danny Segura. Time for the sound off. This is where we take your calls. Number to call, as always, 844 866 2468. Or if you're international, you can email the MMA Hour at VoxMedia.com. That's right. All right, man. Tee us up here. By the way, uh, can you make sure that we retweet? From MMA fighting, the yes. uh, the yep. Henner uh, thing, yeah, they're yeah, this close to getting across yeah, the finish line. I saw
1: line. just a few hundred, right?
0: Yeah, they were asking for twenty five grand, and they're yeah, at twenty four six forty, okay, something yeah. like that. So they're almost there. Yeah, just need a little we'll bit make more. It happen. All right, what do we got on store? Take it away, right, Maestro. So
1: I know this is an MMA show, but the biggest fight uh, over the weekend was obviously you know Tyson Fury versus. Deontay Wilder, so let's talk about that. Let's talk uh, about it. We, we have a few questions about that, but we do have MA questions, so don't worry. We'll we'll get to those in a second. All right. All right, so let's get started.
6: Hey, Luke Thomas. This is David calling from Toronto, Canada, hey. home of the 2019 NBA champion Raptors. <laughs> My question is about the Deontay Wilder and the Tyson Fury fight. In the 12th round, when Deontay Wilder got that knockdown, do you think that saved him from losing the fight and giving the decision of a draw, or do you think the decision of a draw was inevitable anyways because of the nature of boxing judging, just the way that we know the sport is corrupt and the American guy was going to get the favorable call in the United States? Thank you very much, and keep up the good work.
0: So this is the great question. I don't know why people keep calling it like boxing judging. It's like, dude, it's the same commission. Yeah. It's the exact same commission. Mm-hmm. Different judges. By the way, one of the judges was Mexican. I think one was Japanese. None of, uh, one was Canadian. None of them were from the United States. Mm-hmm. None of them. And none from the UK either, as I understand it. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. But the answer is one of the scorecards was 113-113. So even if they had given that to Deontay Wilder, it would have been uh, 10-9, which would not have been enough to sway it. Fury would have won. So I guess technically, if you believe that he was going to win no matter what, then there's nothing I can say to you. But if you believe that they're just bad judges, then yes, it would have made a bit of a difference. How would you score the fight, by the way? Uh, Seven rounds to five. Well, I mean, that's not quite right because they're 10-8s. But essentially seven rounds to five for... uh, I thought it was a comfortable win for Mm -hmm. Tyson Fury. What about you? Yeah.
1: I didn't keep track of of every single round, but I think you won. I gave... I gave Wilder, I think, the second, and then the other two rounds where he dropped. I think that's uh, about right. Yeah, where he
0: dropped uh, uh, Fury. I, um, I cannot get over him getting up.
1: I still can't. Yeah, I
0: can't believe. Do when they uh, yeah. when people like took the call of. And by the way, Paulie Malignaggi. I know people don't like him. Phenomenal job. Phenomenal job calling out the judging. Yep. Al Bernstein did a great job. Shouts to Mara who yep. killed it. Yeah. But the people who took that clip and then when Fury gets up, they put the Undertaker yeah. music on top of it. Yeah, yeah, was actually kind of awesome. I have to admit.
1: I, I mean, as soon as I, I heard "Mamma Mia" from from Mara, I'm like, all right, this fight's done. Yeah. It's a wrap. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Uh, and then he gets up. It was straight up. It was straight up like you know. Have you ever seen uh, any zombie movie? The first infected, they always have a, you know a good emphasis on them where it's like you know they're dead. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom, yeah. they come back to life. That was literally what I saw. I'm like, are you kidding me? Dude, when he,
0: uh, when he uh when he when his head bounced. Yeah. That's what I was like. It's over. Yeah. Him getting up is... I don't know how you medically explain something like that. I've never seen yeah, anything like I that. I believe
1: that's called the uh, magic. The magic of boxing. Yeah. There you go. Amazing. All right. Uh, let's move on, and, and let's keep talking about the scoring here
6: so, uh, of that fight. All right. I mean, this is Luke from Dallas, and I guess I just wanted to know which boxing sin you think was more egregious. Giving Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder a tie giving Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez in their first fight a tie. Oof. Uh, thank you, guys. Love what you do.
0: Have a great day. Uh, I would say the first one. Sorry, what am I saying? Uh, Fury versus Wilder, I think, oh, yeah. is easier to call. Than- yeah, yeah. That one was harder to call, in my judgment. Yeah. Uh, this one was not a difficult call. Um, but if you ever watched my live chat, I've talked about this before, this idea that, like, um, how do I explain it? You have subjective criteria. Now, you knocks them down. You don't have to go 10-8, but the tradition is you go ten eight. Right, yeah. Um, but more than that, especially in MMA, where people don't understand this. If you've never sat ringside or cage-side on a fight, it does look different than if you're watching back sure. or even on TV. It doesn't feel the same. You miss a lot of the action, especially if it's hundred percent. cage, yeah. And um, uh, so, so it's hard to explain. It's like you have this experiential difference you have your own criteria about what you what matters to you what doesn't yeah. you have the the judges don't sit together they sit at different positions so if a fight is taking place far away from you at the other end it can be hard to see versus if it's right on top of you and a big shot lands it can really have an impact all of those things plus incompetence plus a bad scoring system that just lets you have latitude Dude, i've said this before people like you could have a you could have a fight where x there's a case for x to win and a case for y to win yeah. it's like let me get this straight You can have a judging system where either guy can win, and you're wondering why you're upset with the results. Why wouldn't you be if you live in a world where it's possible and plausible that either person could put together a winning effort? It's a super bankrupt way to uh, adjudicate athletic contests, but it's the one we have. And as I mentioned in the weigh-in, it's the one we're stuck with, baby. Yeah. I would say this one was probably more
1: of a... For me, this was a lot easier to judge than the Triple G Canelo. I have I have a much easier time judging MMA fights than I do boxing. Um, and the Triple G Canelo, although I thought Triple G in the first one, he, he did a lot better, um, I still thought it was pretty competitive. Like, you know, it was back and forth, you know? With this one, it was clear that sure, Wilder had the power and, and you know, he's probably the, the biggest power puncher right now. Um but it was clear to me that Fury was the better boxer. And, you know, just the way he was tagging him up with a jab and moving. For me, over, the, over that course of, of 12 rounds, I, I saw who the better fighter is. With Triple G Canelo, it was still kind of up in the air, even to the very end. King Mo was a big believer that Canelo won the first one, but take that for what it's worth. Hmm. All right, well, let's keep the boxing theme. Boxing, yes, because this is not exactly uh, pertain to the fight. But, you know, somebody uh, from our team.
6: Hey, Mr. Thomas, Mr. Segura, this is Lou Same
1: caller, by the way.
6: Um, my question is, you know, after every big fight, it seems like every weekend, people want to bring up who's the new goat, who's the goat, you know? And I guess after the Wild Fury fight, I want to ask you guys, is Esther Lynn the goat of photography? Because some of these pictures she was getting were crazy. Thank you guys so much. Uh, watch the show every week. Love you guys. Stay safe. Have a great day.
1: Yes, All right, we, we love you too. Uh, Esther Lynn. my God, did
0: you see her photos from... Um, last five weeks, yeah, Mark Muramundi tweeted it out. Here, insane, you know, here, insane. Here's a really easy way to understand it. Um, who is the most talented person at MMA fighting? It's Esther, right? She is the most pound for pound for what... She, like In terms of their individual... I mean, she's obviously a better photographer than us. I don't mean that. What I mean is at doing what she does, she is better than the rest of us at doing what we do. She is far and away the most talented person at MMA yeah. fighting. And, um, dude, it's like, <laughs> yeah. when, h- how do you replace that? Yeah. You, I mean, dude, they could fire me now and replace me. I'm not that, I'm not that <laughs> indispensable. You can't replace her. What, they're going to hire you? You'd be up there just Snapchat with, iPhone. with yeah, your yeah, iPhone yeah, yeah. and shit, you know? Uh, yeah. She's, um, dude, she's uh, one of a kind.
1: Yeah, she's got a, a very unique eye and let me say this. So, let me
0: say this. Him. I also think that he doesn't get enough credit. I think he's also very exceptional. Is Ryan Loco. Uh, yeah, he does some great, stuff yeah. for PFL and some other businesses. Ryan Lucas is a very good photographer as well. And not enough people recognize that. So I'd like to take a moment yeah. to do that. All right. So we got boxing out of the way. All right. Finally. Let's talk Jesus. about MMA. All right.
6: Hey, this is the Jank calling from Gainesville. Uh, just good wondering uh, where does RDA go from here? He's kind of stuck in that in between uh, welterweight and lightweight. It's just too big to make those cuts to 55, it would seem. And then. Now it's coming back to haunt him because these other guys coming down from, you know, two hundred pounds or so. Uh the size and the strength seems to be an issue as much as the technical ability. Uh so where does he go now? Also, uh, how do I pay the twenty dollars to get unblocked? To tell me where to send it. It's at Shady Swisha. And uh sorry I back talked you Thanks, guys.
0: I don't I'm about to make some money. I don't tolerate that sass. Um RDA. So I made this point when he when he fought Usman. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, Usman, people were like, oh, Usman's just better. I am, I am perfectly willing to believe that Usman is just better. But Usman was clearly also physically bigger and stronger. Yes. It's just the reality, okay? So mm-hmm. both can be true. It's not one or the other. I don't want to take anything away from Kamaru Usman. Yes, he's the better fighter. Hands up. Yeah, I admit it. But he was also bigger. And so I made this point. Everybody, when I, I – I, did I not say this on the MMA beat on Thursday? If somebody was, like, down a weight class and they jump up and they have immediate success, everyone goes – There it is. There it is. Cutting weight, overrated. And then invariably, they begin to lose fights because that's overrated in terms of what value it provides, not cutting weight. It's good for your health. I don't know how competitively good it is. Yeah. And then I'm like, this is the point. It's like, dude, why do you think he was cutting to 55? For that reason. It's because you got Kamaru Usman's up there that are just too talented and too big to deal with. Mm -hmm. That's why he was cutting down. So the answer is 165 is the answer. Yeah, it's it's tough, man, because if you look
1: at the guys he fought at uh, welterweight that weren't wrestlers, you know, he beat Robbie Lawler, who was a former champion, Neil Magny, who's very game, and uh, Tarek Safedin, who obviously uh strike force champ, former strike first champ. Uh, but then once you run into the wrestlers, that's the real test, because in the striking, you can be a little undersized and you know have success you know be successful just fine it's mostly you know manipulating your body you know around your your opponents here you're actually you know you gotta you gotta you know engage in 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 in, in the grappling which you know size always plays a big difference there so for me to to finally see like somebody be successful going up weight class i want to see them against a the wrestler you know a striker it tells it tells you something but not you know not the whole picture my my guess next for RDA, man, if that 165 division doesn't come up next, fine, stay, stick around Welterweight, but be a little smarter with, you know, with the type of matchups you get, you know, back-to-back, Colby Covington and Kamara Usman, wow. you know, probably outside of Tyron Woodley, the two best wrestlers in that division, obviously, you know, Ben Asker now in there, but, you know, he hasn't officially made his, his debut, uh, man, just get some strikers, you know?
0: Wrestlers, easier wrestlers said than done. Are, yeah. the guy want, These guys want the title, man, and the, yeah, you got to go true. through and absolute murderers
1: to do it. Mm-hmm. Very true. All right, all right. Uh, let's talk about Joe Schilling and and something that happened during his fight. Hell yeah! Hi,
6: Luke and Danny. This is Jason calling from White Plains, New York. Just uh, wanted to get your thoughts on a fight from the prelims in the Bellator show. Not sure if you saw it this weekend, since there was a lot of MMA, but it was a fight between. Joe Schilling and Will Morris. Will Morris' corner threw in the towel after a tough first round, but it's debatable. Maybe he could have came back out and done something in that fight. Do you think it was a good decision on Will Morris' corner to throw in the towel for his fight against
0: uh, Joe Schilling?
6: Thanks again. Have a good one.
0: So, uh, by the way, I'm going to talk about that fight on the Monday Morning Analyst coming up next, so we get right to it. As I understand it, I believe what had happened was, first of all, Will Morris took... Uh, yep. I, I'm not. I'm not here to be demeaning, but he took a serious beating. Okay, uh, Joe Schilling was all over him like white on rice, and took virtually no damage. And I also think that the right arm of or hand or something of Morris was broken because he had trouble. It was dangling a little bit, he had trouble moving it. I think it was part of the equation. If they had just stopped it because of the ass whooping, I would not have. I, well, I wouldn't have minded it at all. But I think they stopped it because it's like, dude, you're getting beat up, and. You have real no way to defend yourself. By the way, that break could get worse. It could go yeah. to the skin, or God only knows whether complication medically could happen. So uh, big shouts to the corner of Will Morris for having the willingness. And he, pro- did you see his pro- do him protest? He was bitter, Will Morris. yeah. What are you doing? This is ridiculous. I can keep going. And his corner was like, no, you definitely cannot. Uh, that's what the sport needs. And these people who protect these guys from themselves, We I said this before, everyone's like, you ask the fighter whether what about your thinking about your corner not stopping it. Good, I'm glad they didn't stop it. Why are you asking the fighter? The whole idea is that the corner is supposed to have decision making skills over them, not in con- exactly. concordance or in yeah. accordance with them. Anyway, there you go.
1: Yeah, it was nice. It was nice seeing that because it wasn't like he was getting only smoked in the stand up department. And we know that he's, you know, Joe Schilling is an ex- excellent striker. So you're like, all right, maybe if you take the fight to the ground, you know, he also <laughs> took a bit, bit, bit of a beating on the ground, and Joe Schilling's ground game was looking good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was, you know, it, with a broken hand, very little chance for a comeback. We, we need to see more of that. Right. And, you know, take a page out of guys like Mark Hunt, you know, what, 13 and 13 and, you know, still a top star in MMA and, and you know, at the top of his weight class. Look, in boxing, maybe, you know, it becomes a little harder because losses mean a lot, but not in MMA. So take advantage of that, you know. Mm. Fight for another day. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Here we, we're going to touch... Um, all right, we'll see. This is, this is a price question. All right, we'll see.
6: Think West. Hey, Luke, it's Bryce calling from Coast MMA again. I had a fun question for you. If you had a chance to pick any rapper to fight in the UFC or any other MMA promotion, who would it be? It could be past or present. My pick would be Sean Price, the late and great. Ran into that guy in the airport one time, and man, he was huge. Put six months of training on him, and he's a beast. Love the show. Cheers.
0: Who's your prospect? Ooh, it, it's got to be Wiz Khalifa, right? Nah, get out of here. You know he trains. Really? Yeah, so. Okay. Well, I'm not saying he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm just saying. Have you seen his training? It's better than most. Don't. It's better than CM Punk. Wiz Khalifa could beat CM Punk. Want to bet me? Mm. Bet you. I bet you. I don't know. That's a tough one. He has been training. He's also but. younger. Now, yeah. you know, I don't know how his rap lifestyle uh, you know fits into Right, right, right. right uh, what the-
1: about Snoop Dogg? Did you see him uh, you know, sparring uh was Daniel Serafine? 60 pounds, wet and wearing <laughs> boots. No. He's got that jab, that yeah. le- that reach. Uh, Eazy-E was right about him.
0: Uh your, your boy Takashi, 6'9. He, bro, he's got problems. <laughs> he's got problems. He does have problems. Um, who would be a good one? Who's like a I guess 50 was kind of jacked, right? I mean, he still
1: is. At one point, Fifty has sort of become a meme now. With uh, you know, in 2018, but at one point, I mean, 50's a big dude. He was a scary guy, and I, I, I think he did some boxing training. I know he's close to Mayweather. So
0: all these guys, you know, it would be Sean Price because if you know anything about his rap, he would always make fun of gangster rappers for talking about guns and not throwing hands. That was a yeah. big. That was a constant okay. theme in his. Maybe he can uh,
1: walk out to one of his songs.
0: Uh, <laughs> in fact, in from the song "Onion Head," gangster rappers can't fight, so they rap about guns. Yeah. Is actually the line. Um, so, yeah, maybe it would be Sean Price. Rest in yeah. peace. There you go. I don't know if uh, you know this rapper, but Chief Keefe? I do know uh, Chief. Is Didn't Chief Keefe, wasn't he? Uh, didn't uh, Takashi69 put out a hit on him?
1: It's not what's alleged. be
0: the other way around. But
1: yeah, yeah Takashi was talking smack about Chief Keefe. Chief Keefe's legit. I mean, there's videos, tons of videos of him scrapping on YouTube that you can look up, and he's actually a
0: pretty. Did good you ever guy. see Sean Price slap a fan on stage in Chile? <laughs> no, a fan ran up on stage, so Sean Price yeah, slapped yeah. him like okay. hard, like bow, like knocked him sideways. Yeah, how, how big is how big is Sean? He was big. I mean, he's dead. Big. He's dead now. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, he, was, how big he was he was he's a big boy. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, but I mean, he smoked a lot, and he had, all his teeth kind of fell out. Ah, maybe. So uh, I don't know. There you go. Yeah, all right, my, I mean, my, here, here's who it wouldn't be. Wouldn't be Drake. How about that? It sorry, be. sorry, Max. It would not be Drake.
1: All right. Yeah, I would agree. Drake would probably be at the bottom of my list. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, let's talk about the start time of all these, uh, you know, MMA events. All right. And they're, it was a they're, long
0: weekend. They're awful. But go ahead. Yeah, it was bad. Luke, Danny, love the show.
6: But what's up with the UFC having six fights on the main card? I mean, I was falling asleep by the Hunt Willis fight. To be honest. Um, I did see the co-main and main, though, which are really great. Uh, it's over at, like, 1 a.m. Eastern time. It's really not ideal. Sometimes, I think, just in life in general, and that and definitely applies here in the UFC, sometimes less is more. And I think the big Fox shows are perfect, the way they are set up. Uh, let me know your thoughts.
1: Um, so he is correct. The big Fox shows are perfect. They
0: start at like what?
1: Some some 8 p.m., some 9 p.m. Yeah, 8.
0: And then they yeah, go to 10, four 10, 10, 10 and some change, depending yeah. on how the main event goes. It's four fights. Four fights. It's perfect. That is exactly how it should go. It's been a disaster. Uh, I won't say that the Fox deal's been a disaster because the Fox deal is this complicated, multifaceted arrangement, right. and then each aspect of that deserves to be weighted accordingly. Yeah. What I would say is, that the deal put itself over fan interest in a number of different ways. Number one, with the volume of shows that I'm not sure that the fans really asked for, and number two, or really are even serviced by, and two, the start and run time. Starting at 10, having six fight main cards, yeah. and then allotting 30 minutes essentially for each fight, so you would run up until one or or past it. These were aspects of the deal that were made to benefit the deal and not fans. And I am desperately hoping and have been told that there might be some reasons for optimism as we transition over to ESPN. Because holy shit, that is unbearable. Yeah. And it has been a real drag trying to I, – I, I'm going to be clear about this. I only do – on my personal YouTube channel, I'll do a post-fight show. I would do them for the fight night shows, but there's too many of them and they go too late. The pay-per-views end earlier for crying out loud. So they'd get more. I mean, that this is a small consolation, but they'd get more from me if they did anything to do uh, to service the the fan. Who cares? But they don't. So there you go.
1: Yeah. Start time. At, I mean, 10 p.m. wouldn't be that bad if it were a four four fight main card, but six fights, Jesus. You know, they do drag on. So
0: or just do six fights, but do fight pass pacing.
1: Oh yeah. But they can't because they've can added all, all the commercials. Room. Yeah. yeah. One of the best things, and I love watching live sports, but if you're ever unable to catch the fights and you go back and watch them the next day and you you have it recorded on your DVR and you can just run through them, that's the best. No uh, no commercial. Fair enough. All right. Now let's talk about women's MMA. Hey, this is
6: Marissa from Lincoln, Nebraska. I hear like every week almost on all these different MMA podcasts that Women don't listen. Well, they don't. I do every single week, religiously.
0: I appreciate that. Thank you
6: for guys. Thank you guys for doing what you do. I enjoy listening to you guys every single day. I don't necessarily have a question, more of a comment. Um, if I did have a question, I think I would just ask: Any fantasy fights you would like to see? What would they be? Women mm-hmm. and female? Any weight class? As long as they're active.
1: I want to hear active fighter fantasy
0: Actively. fights. Okay. Thank you. All right. Uh women's MMA fantasy matchup. Go. Uh well, first of all, I've looked at my YouTube stats. My viewers are 96.3% male. It's like a Jordan Peterson lecture up in my audiences. So it's it's dudes, okay. Um as for the question, ooh, fantasy, but it has to be active. Uh that's a tough one. Um I would say Pena versus Rousey, but Rousey's not active, so neither yeah. is Juliana. Um, man, that's a tough one. Do you Do you have
1: one in mind? I mean, mine is already booked. Nunes Cyborg. Yeah, I think I think it's a great one. I think the biggest threat to Cyborg has to be Amanda Nunes, in in my opinion. I, I don't see anyone else being any, any other women out there. You know, posting as big as a threat as Nunes posts another fight that I would like to watch, and I think it could happen, uh, and I think it likely will. Holly Holm versus Amanda Nunes—that'd be fun.
0: Sure, that's yeah. another great one. Um, trying to think—I I mean, Gina Carano's not active, but there's some part of me that wishes she would still compete, or ha- well, you know, uh, had not stopped as, as early as she had. Um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of the women's fights that we had kind of wanted as like these fantasy fights are being are being made. Yeah. For example, with this weekend, Shevchenko versus uh, Double J. So. So there's that. That would be what I would have naturally have picked, but that one's already being made. Um, no, I don't have any at the top of my head. I guess I have a lame non-answer for you, but my uh, my uh, wishes have been met. There you go. Sorry, Danny. I suck. All good. Next. <laughs>
1: all right. Next. <laughs> all right. Um, so about now, the big fight coming up.
6: Jesse Morgan from Ontario, Canada calling. We've all this talk on whether or not Max Holloway will be medically fit to fight this Saturday... Do you think this is hurting to build up to the fight, or will it end up making the fight even bigger if, God willing, the fight is made official on Friday? Thank you for taking my call.
0: There is zero chance that is impacting. If anything, people yeah. are not giving it enough attention. Now, I'm sure Max feels differently because every interview, including this one, dude, I feel bad. I mean, I didn't want to ask Max about it, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't. But the poor guy had to hear it from me. He's going to hear it all freaking week. You know what it reminds me of? It was Darren Till and the weight cut. It okay. sort of reminds me of that. You know, you have one bad incident. And, dude. They don't let you forget it until you just go through multiple times. So if he goes through and he makes the weight and he wins the fight, it'll be you know a thing of the past by and large. Yeah. But I don't think it's dampening enthusiasm at, at all. The ticket sales in Toronto are phenomenal. Dude, I cannot wait for Saturday. What a ridiculously good fight card. Main and co-main, but that main event is about freaking perfect. Two guys yeah. in their prime. The only issue is, what is their star power? But that has nothing to do with the question that guy asked, so no, right. I am ready to rock. Yeah, same. Yeah, I don't think it's impacting
1: at all, and also, you know, Max doing all this media, he he looks in, in you know, he sounds in good spirits, and, uh, you know, for last fight week when he was supposed to fight Brian Ortega, he was already looking a little off in the media, so... Uh, you know, we see, we see he's completely fine. He's out there chilling with Drake. He's, you know, on Instagram. Check out,
0: let me uh, give them a bit of an acknowledgement. Check out yeah. his interview he did with Complex. He actually went in studio with them. He was actually in New York last week mm-hmm. um, and he went around and did the tour and you can see him sitting on the couch. He has l- vigor and uh, energy yeah. and uh, his face has color and he, he looks fine. He looks fine. Yeah. Any conspiracy theorists about why he didn't want to come yeah. on Skype, but,
1: Plus, I feel like, mm, you know, most of that talk is is around the hardcores. I I feel like the ones that are casually into it, I think, you know, they kind of forgot about the incident, you know, uh, especially, you know, now with everything that's that's been moving on. It almost feels like it, it happened a while ago, even though it was this year. It was. yeah,
0: Tough year for him, though.
1: Yep. Let's roll on. All right, you got time for one more? Hey, we got a couple more.
6: Hey, Luke, Danny, it's Jordan calling from Gainesville. Uh, don't you think it's a huge oversight that BytePass and UFC don't have a PS4 app to watch fights on PS4? I mean, I don't have a laptop and our cable's not hooked up. And so I'm literally, I'm sitting here watching Bellator on PS4, but no UFC. Uh,
0: and I just think that it's a huge oversight. What do you guys think?
1: That's a question for me. Get an Xbox.
0: Wait a second, I thought the PlayStation four. No I thought PlayStation had something called view V U E or you could watch everything on there. Mm-hmm. are you do you own any uh, gaming system? No, I read books. Oh yeah, right. smart. I mean, you can do both. you know that, right? You I could... just like trolling all the donks. Uh, no, I had an Xbox and then my home got robbed, and they actually took my Xbox, can you believe it? I'd had it yeah. a week, a week. My wife got me an Xbox, and uh, they effing well, stole it. Xbox One, the latest. Yeah, it was right. It just came, well, not just come out, but it had been out relatively recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I I played Mortal Kombat for a week. Well, it's it's good to know you're an Xbox guy at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, my wife got it for that reason because mm-hmm. she was like, I'm not. I, I am a well, I wouldn't call myself a gamer, but Xbox, as I understand it, has gaming plus all the other stuff. Yeah. Whereas PlayStation is sort of just m- a little more gaming centric. Yeah. To the caller's point. Yeah, it's a little bit surprising, but I don't know. I, I'm one of these guys. that's like, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure what to say. Like. If you have a PlayStation, that means you have a television. If you have a yes. television, that means you can get a Roku box for like, you can get a Roku thumb drive or whatever it is for what, 20 bucks or something. Like there oh, wow. are, yeah. there are, there are ways or, or just get, get a fight pass subscription and then Chromecast it. Like there are, there's there's, there's solvable problems here, you know? Yeah. yeah. Also. Or just steal. Just steal. There's other or ways. you can to do just. It. You know? Don't steal. I'm teasing. I'll get fired. Just dump the uh, PS4 and get an Xbox. Yeah, just you know, do better.
1: It. It's a superior... Give me the uh, keys
0: to your place yeah. and I'll steal your stuff and then you can have my stolen Xbox.
1: Oh, yeah. Full circle, right?
0: Yes, <laughs> that's right. Regifting Things I steal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Give me one more and then we gotta go. Right. This is our last one. Hey,
6: guys. It's Justin. I'm calling you from the immortalized shithole that is Mobile, <laughs> Alabama.
0: Oh, yeah. So, yeah.
6: on to the question at hand. <laughs> uh, you see with RDA jake matthews and the fellow that uh, beat him this weekend all these 55ers that have moved up to 170 and uh, my question is what type of meta would a fighter need to employ in order to make a successful move 15 pounds up
0: that's the question that is the question. Jesus. So I mean, you're depends. moving up a weight class. Yeah, he's talking about what the metagame. What are the sort of overall strategic adjustments yeah. and approaches to the game that one would need? Well, God, it would depend entirely on the game and who you're fighting. Um, uh, I'm not sure how to answer that exactly. I mean, it would, if, you're, if you're like an yeah. RDA, it would really— So one of the things that really cost him was he was in that tiny cage. So that really hurt him because he had a problem just constantly getting backed up and then he had nowhere to go. It would seem like in a case like that, um, evasion and footwork would be really kind of critical. Clinch breaking, uh, separation along the fence, takedown defense. and Those would be things you would do in, uh, anyway, but it would really become a premium skill yeah. in those particular circumstances. But it would, be, it would be hard to say. If the issue is you're trying to countenance the addition of 15 extra pounds, implying that that weight advantage is something that your opponents will have, then it would be something like that, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. Are
1: you a big fan of, uh, you know, bulking up if you're going up a weight class? Because I feel like a lot of fighters don't do that. If they do go up, they do go up because they feel like they were obviously too big at the one before, so they think they'll be
0: just fine. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? I think that uh, a, a appropriate bulking in that particular circumstance is yeah. probably fine. So y- the answer is is some addition of muscle mass. Um, not merely beneficial, but maybe even required for that kind of categorical leap. The answer is probably yes, but there's going to be a point where you're going to get real diminishing returns to outright negativity anchoring you down. Right. Find a pro, a specialist who can find that exact sweet spot for you, and stick to that. I don't remember out of the top
1: of my head, but has anybody, any fighter, successfully gone up and you know bulked, looked you know bigger, and have you know has a uh, adjusted to the weight class as far as, like, size and strength out of the top of my head? I'm I don't know. Conor McGregor. I feel like he's still a small 55er,
0: though. Oh, he's big. Yeah? Yeah. He's not. Uh, it, it, it wins or loses, it's not because he's, uh, well, I, well, he's not undersized. though. you ever seen him in person? I've seen him both from far, he's like big. at press conferences. Nah, he's big. Like he's big. He's a big boy. He's not like, I saw the back of his head when I was at the hearing. He's not huge. He's like, there's yeah. bigger lightweights. Don't misunderstand me. Yeah. But they're not so big that they can lord that over him. He's not outsized in that way at all. Mm. Uh, and we're going to see what happens, by the way, with Max Holloway, because he's not yeah. looking for that. Yeah. All right, let's do this. La- appreciate you stopping by. Good job this week. All right, we're not Thank done, you. though. We have one more segment. It is time now, ladies and gentlemen, for the Monday Morning Analyst. All right, time now for the Monday Morning Analyst right here on the MMA Hour. Thank you guys so much for joining me. So I said this, I think, last week or the week before. Whenever I do these, I ask you guys on my Facebook page, sometimes on Twitter as well, like what are the fights that you want to see broken down on this segment, or I should say in this segment, and almost without exception, the answer was Wilder versus Fury, which is a boxing match. Now, normally I am very loath to do anything like that. This is an MMA show. It should be about MMA, Uh, And there was a ton of MMA over the weekend. We are going to show some MMA in here, both from the Australia card as well as from the Bellator card, 210 anyway. But there was so much demand for Wilder Fury. It was the biggest event by far. I thought we have to just acknowledge it. So let's just jump right into it if we can. Let me say something at the outset about Wilder Fury um, that will, I think, help you understand my analysis a little bit. Number one, I'm not an MMA expert, but I'm certainly not a boxing expert. I want to make that very, very clear. You should always ask the experts about their opinions and their breakdowns um, in addition to mine. They may agree. They may disagree. They may have a lot more interesting things to say. As a general disclaimer, please go do that. I will also say I'm a Deontay Wilder fan. I met Deontay at Mayweather Pacquiao. He was affable, friendly. He's good with the media. He's obviously a hell of a competitor. But saying that, I must also acknowledge Tyson Fury won that fight. I have no idea how they could possibly think otherwise. I recognize that the two knockdowns, particularly that last one, were beyond incredible. But at the same time, the facts are what they are. He was outboxed. Skills win fights, and that should matter. Um, And it didn't. Here's the interesting part about this. Everyone was on the Mexican judge, Alejandro, I forget his last name, uh, as having the worst scorecard. And he did. He only had five rounds for Fury out of 12. And so you just do the math there. He had, I think, for the first four for Wilder, then the two knockdowns, and then you got, uh, I think there's one more in there. I'm not sure exactly how it was scored, but you get the idea. But the truth is, two of the three judges gave the first round to Deontay Wilder, which I found very, very crazy. I don't know how they could do that. So I wanted to show you some stats here, if I may, for just a second. Let me blow this up here a little bit. Here is round one. So pay attention to just this number. Let me see if I can... Uh, Put a right there. So Wilder scores four of 35 strikes. Uh, Fury, six of 29. We Oops, let me uh, clear this. Clear it again so that we don't have a uh, hold on. Then we're going to do this. This is uh, Jabs thrown. I want to uh, show you this. Jabs, Wilder. One jab, Fury, three. Power punches, they were equal. So with the CompuBox stats, you never want to take them as gospel. They're only a bit of a guidepost. But on power punches, they were ostensibly equal. On jabs, they were not equal. And on overall strikes, they were not equal. Boxing is obviously more than just the summation of a point total, how many times you made contact. It's the damaging punches that really kind of matter. So here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to roll through and look at parts of round one if we can here. Oop, don't want to lose that. Here we are. Here we are. Here's round one. What I want you to pay attention to when we look at this here a little bit with Deontay and Tyson is why does Tyson Fury, in my judgment, win this fight? Well, number one, I think he landed more, right? It's the sort of same criteria, who did the most kind of damage. But beyond that, what he really was able to do, if you look at the numbers, is he really limited Klitschko when they fought, and he really limited to Deontay Wilder. He had taken Deontay Wilder's normal rate of offense and— took two-thirds of that numerically away. He really kind of limited him. How did he do it? Lots of feints, lots of fakes, lots of jabs, lots of L-stepping. You're going to watch him do something called L-stepping, rather than sort of these just generic movements, side-to-side, front-to-back. These are all kind of important, and they can be the most critical thing you can do depending on the circumstance. You see, uh, Brian Ortega does a lot of L-stepping too, and L-stepping is when your lead foot comes back in line with your rear foot, and then your rear foot goes out to the side, and then the lead foot comes back in the front. So you literally make an L with your feet. And why would you L-step? You L-step to reset the angle. It can have defensive purposes. It can have offensive purposes. So in resetting the angle, not only do you take away your opponent's angle, but you also set up your own. It's a good way to quickly get in and out of uh, a position. We're not talking massive jumps, but it's better than an incremental step. A big, nice L-step, particularly when you're 6'9", and you're fleet of foot like he is, it's a nice way to constantly put the other person on the defensive. And so Ty, uh, Deontay Wilder, who I love, I think he's such a great champion, and I really respect him. And, of course, that 12th round we'll look at here in just a second. But what he really gets confused by is he bites on the fakes and the feints. He draws back that right hand to really throw it. Tyson Fury sees it coming all the time. He's pumping the jab as consistently as he can, for the most part staying out of trouble, L-stepping to constantly reset angles, uh, clinching when he needs to, turning when he needs to, skills win fights. In this fight, the more skilled guy was Tyson Fury. He wasn't the harder puncher. He wasn't the guy that knocked down the other guy, but he was the guy who won more rounds and showed overall better boxing ability. I have a hard time understanding how that's not true. And I say that as a died in the wool Deontay Wilder fan. All right, so look at some of this. Look at his footwork here. We'll look at him Look at the uh, hands here, first of all, from from Tyson Fury. Side to side, motioning, motioning, motioning. Look at this. You can't really get a read on him. This is just a standard step. There's no L step there. Let me uh, pull back a little bit so you can see his feet, right? I just look at all of the fakes and the feints, hands moving this way, this way. He's just got so much going on. He's real mindful of distance. Like that, yep. Hands down, lunging in, trying to get you to bite. Trying to get you to do something. There's your first L-step there. That's an L-step. Resets the angle. So now you have a guy, yes, Deontay Wilder's taking the center, but he has to follow everything that Tyson Fury is doing. Nice jab to the body, but it follows with the parry. Guy is fleet of foot, Tyson Fury is. Again, charging in, but not really. Yes, he's moving in. It looks like a charge, but it's all faints and feints and setups. Flicks the jab out there to see what kind of reaction he gets. By the way, if you look at slow motion, a lot of times when Fury jabs, the front of the glove is really loose. He's just flicking it like he's trying to get a booger off of his hand. I know that's an indelicate way of describing it, but it's really true. He's just letting it go. And I think it does that because it allows him to gauge distance. It gets him to cover up because they don't know if it's a punch or it's that big, long piston of a, of a, of a left coming down at him. And so he's able to then score. He's keep, and, he, and as a consequence, he keeps it nice and loose. He's just flicking it just like that. You see my chin come up? I get tagged for doing that. L steps again, resets the angle. Perry's goes back out look at this look at his movement look at Deontay's he's just knowing when the punches are coming he can see it boom look at him put a hand on the left shoulder right here oh hold on there we are right there I'm trying to get it to work all right forget all that god damn it you see it you get the idea posting on that left hand It's going to jam the right hand of Deontay as he tries to throw. Plus, it's going to enable him to get away at the same time, right? There he is, slowly doing it. Look at him. He sees all the punches coming. Whoop. Puts a hanger up to stay out of it. You can see the left coming a million miles away. Gets his hands up, but gets two hands up just in case. Decides to wrap like this. Here we go. A little bit later in the round. This is still the first round. Look at Tyson Fury. Same thing. Hands moving. Always in motion, side to side. Good lateral movement. The L-stepping is a big part of that. You can see him here kind of dropping his hands to see what Tyson's, or excuse me, what Deontay is going to do. Waits and waits. Now he knows he's up against it. He knows if he's up against these ropes, that big right hand is coming. He waits for it, baits it, kind of steps out to the side expecting it. These two jabs from Wilder are too far away. He knows it. He can just see it coming. He kind of hangs on the ropes there to dig into him. This is a way of him gauging distance, being able to pull himself back in if he needs to, lets it go, gets out of the way of the left, and he can see the right coming the whole time. Look at this, the left hand's up again, right? Boom, just goes over the top of the head. How many times did you see this play out over the course of the fight? A million times, a million times Wilder would throw with this. A lot of times, that left hand of Fury was on that shoulder. A lot of times, he was just gauging the distance. So either way, Either he knew he was in close proximity and could block, or he wasn't far enough and he could just time it and get down. Very, very, very crisp, nice, clean fundamentals here, and then he clinches up, and they go about their business, right? Here's another indication. Fury is on the outside. Wilder is on the inside, and I think that played a big role in the judge's mind, even though it shouldn't. Fury does kind of like to take the center sometimes, uh, especially in the, the beginning of the bell. He likes to charge out into the center, but that... The, who is doing the, the more of the damage here? Here's another situation. Look, fading to his left, I believe. J- throws a jab. Let's see this jab. What does he do here? Kind of just sort of parries it a little bit. Stuck against the ropes. What does that mean? means there's probably a big power punch coming, which he knows. Look at this. Gets the right hand up to block because he knows it's coming. Fakes. And look at Deontay. Drops his level. Fury sees it, whoop, guides it. He's got this left hand up as a hanger to block the punch and then to get himself off the way. We talked about the hanger with Chuck and Tito. I know a bunch of y'all downvoted it like a bunch of donks, but I was totally right. One of the things that he was able to do is get that hanger up in the air. Here's another version of that. It's not really a punch. Look at the left arm of Fury. He's not throwing a punch. He's just kind of getting it up so when the punch comes and it's nice and wide, it's going to impact on the shoulder and back Meanwhile, he knows exactly where his opponent is. He can keep this one gloved up or whatever he needs to do to not get attacked from that other side. And he can then just clinch up if he needs to like that, right? And then he gets to turn him away from the corner and then bang him out there. I didn't get to see that with enough um, closeness to really understand exactly what was happening here. And I love this too. Touch, touch, boom, boom. Now, he gets the left hook for his efforts. Duke Rufus always talks about this. A lot of these Dutch guys are really good at it. They're not bang, bang, bang. I went back and I watched the Moicano versus uh, Ortega fight. Man, those two, every shot they threw was whack, whack. Nikki Holtzkin's really good at this. Touch, touch, touch. And then with one punch, bang them out. So they get used to either one side, and then you change. They get used to a certain feel, and then you change. They get used to a certain frequency, and then you change. And then you could follow it up with the other side as well. So that's what you see here. Touch, touch, bang, bang. Now he eats a left hook for his efforts. Okay, nice shot by Deontay Wilder. That left hook was really important, as we see a little bit later in the fight. But I just want to point that out. And here's the last bit of this. This is, I think, the end of the round, I believe. Or if not quite, pretty close. I love how effective the jab was in the first round and throughout the entire fight for Tyson Fury here a little bit. Watch him jab his way across the body of Deontay Wilder that's one way to score that's one way to reset the position that's one way to throw your opponent off it's a lot of things you can do watch as he just jabs across boom and now he's reset the position here a little bit and gets to get in a little bit tighter and then he gets to fight a little bit more on his terms out here right didn't like where he was at before perhaps kind of a little bit close to the corner boom comes back around sorry about that and then fades across love that from Tyson Fury George St. Pierre was really good about that. Just tripling up on the jab as you wave across. You can get your new position. You can score. You can throw them off. You can neutralize them. There's a lot you can do about that. And, of course, Tyson Fury did it. And there's that. Watch his feet. L-step. There's your L-step, folks, right here. Watch the feet here. Let's see. Uh, let's use yellow. Watch the feet here. See that? L-step. L-step. And he gets to reset the angle just like that. Now there's a new angle. These angles don't look like much if you're used to just watching MMA fights. In boxing, that's a major angle change. We think of angle change as like in front to the side. An angle change can be that. An angle change can be that. Just the slightest of margins. All right? Love that. Watch this. I think this is towards the end. Look at this from Tyson Fury. Gets just out of the way of the left hook. Almost like a Philly shell. Almost like a shoulder roll. Mayweather style, watch this, kind of squares up, eats a little bit of the jab, but not too much, and then knows the right hand is coming and just kind of rolls with it the whole way, not doing hardly any damage to him at all in this particular context. And then he just jabs his way out of the corner, just like that, backs him up. I think this is right at the end here. He eats a nice jab to the body from Deontay Wilder. This is pretty good, right? He jabs his way in. Look at the, look at this sort of left side hanger here. How are you going to throw a right hand over the top of this? How do you throw a right over the, over the top of that? How do you do that? You can't. <laughs> you could try, but you really can't. So he just kind of gets under it. He knows it's coming. He can post it on the shoulder. He can do whatever he needs, and he gets under it. No harm, no foul. Throws a nice left hook. Knows exactly where he is. And by the way... This left hook here, it's almost from he's southpaw here. Look at that. And then switches back. Bang. Look at this. It's a sta- he's left southpaw orthodox sort of, right? Now, I actually call this southpaw and then switches here. Bangs him out. Nice shot and wobbles him here. Look at the time on the round. Five seconds left. He had the best damage at the end of that round. if You can see that. He had the best damage at the end of that round, and they two of the three judges gave this to Deontay Wilder. Now I know this is selective jab, jab. Look at this, touch, touch, bang, bang, and they both kind of exchange air a little bit. But Tyson got the better of it. So what did Tyson do? Stuck behind the jab. Good footwork. L stepping. Clinching when you need to. Throwing the hanger up to block the right, getting the distance right so he could then shoulder roll and tuck, getting out of the corner, um, waiting for Deontay to attack and then counterattacking, switching stances out of the corner when he needed to. It's a much, much more complete boxing performance from Tyson Fury. And then he jabs out and the round ends. And then, <laughs> and then the shot heard round the world, ladies and gentlemen. Then that rained down upon us like fire and brimstone. Let me just say this. I've never, I've seen comebacks in combat sports. You have too, I'm sure. I've never seen a shot put a guy out like that and then that guy get up. In terms of that notion of recovery, the immediacy of it, like I've seen people mount comebacks over a minute or a round or two or three. I've never seen that. I've never seen someone take a death blow. Folks, whatever you want to make of Deontay Wilder's boxing ability relative to Furies. There is one thing that is not in doubt. His power is probably the best in the world right now in terms of boxers. Who is the hardest-hitting boxer on earth right now? It's probably Deontay Wilder. If not, he is very much on that short list, right? An absolute ferocious animal when it comes to power. Look at this shot, man. Look at this shot. Let me zoom in here a little bit. Zoom out, rather. Let's get this going here a little bit. Or is this all the footwork he does to avoid him? What is this part here? Let's see here. What am I looking at? Oh, here we go. So what are we looking at here? Deontay sort of marching into him. Tyson's looking. He's got that low. He's got, let's see, he's got his right hand up, his left hand down. Looks like he wants to, like, parry this and slip this a little bit. He kind of, like, see that? He wants to kind of, like, down parry or side parry it and then lean at the same time. Like that, see that? The, the little movie is just trying to do that. But the problem is he doesn't get enough out of the way. And as they noted on the broadcast, a lot of times Wilder was coming like this. This time he came straight down the pipe. It was a nice shot. Cracked him right here, right? And then as he's falling, hit him with the left hook of death. Look at this from another angle. I've never seen a human being recover from that in my life. Unbelievable what he did here, right? So then he just gets up. He just got up. Nobody gets up. He got up. Crazy, right? Crazy. Okay, we go through this. Look at this. This is ridiculous, right? Oh my God, Deontay Wilder didn't know what he was up against, bro. Uh, okay, and then they slug it out. Blah blah blah. Look at this jab. Boom. Nice shot here. Cross. Look at this, and he just leapt into it too. Watch, watch the feet. Deontay Wilder leaves his feet. Look right. Let me change the color of this. Look here. Watch him. Leave his feet. Bang. I think that's why the distance kind of surprised him because before, Wilder may have stepped hard, but he didn't leave his feet. This time, he, watch here. Look at that. That little hop, bang, right? Crushes him, and look at this left hook because he steps forward. He throws it, boom, steps forward, and then from the southpaw position, Lands the boom left hook, son. Oh, God, look at that shot! You've never seen a comeback like that in your life, man. Never, never. I've just uh, who was the shot? Who was the guy that put out Ruiz with the one shot right against the ropes? It was like that. Look at him, he does the old bit. Nope, sorry, Deontay, not this, not this bloke. Is that not ridiculous? And look at him, dude, you ever seen you've seen guys like this. Here, I thought he was doing that concuss thing where guys get injured and then just brought back to life. Look at that. Collected himself and stood up. His mental fortitude is like nothing we've ever seen before, maybe in all of combat sports. That is the most insane thing in terms of a recovery I think I've ever seen. I did not go into this fight as much of a Tyson Fury fan. Respected him, of course. I came out of this one a massive fan. Now, that's just the boxing for the weekend. Enough of that. Blah, 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 blah. You guys see it there. Great. Boom. Done. He gets dropped. Enough. Let's talk about this real quickly. This is Tony Martin versus Jake Matthews from The weekend. I want to get into this very quickly if we can. People are kind of saying, what do we make about this name change? Is that really a thing we're going to just have to acknowledge now? Like, what is that? Dude, Tony Martin has been a very good fighter for a very long time. Had some ups, had some downs. Consider this. He has on a three-fight win streak, all of those in 2018. He's won three fights this year. I think most of them, if not all of them, by stoppage. The last two, certainly by stoppage. One by KO head kick on Ryan Laflair, and now this against Jake Matthews. He went up a weight class to do it. He got his black belt. I, mean, I think when he started in the UFC, he was just a purple. You can see his ground game get a lot better, and I loved this and a conda choke, and I will tell you why. So he kind of, been, he'd been calf kicking him, he, he, uh, Matthews this whole time. Matthews kind of goes to the ground. He eats a, um, a, um, a punch for his efforts. And here we go. Marcelo Garcia's uh, seatbelt. I've told you guys this before. One on top of the shoulder, one on top of the armpit. The hand that's coming over does the stabbing. The other one secures. You see that right here. Remember Chael Sonnen trying to flip Fedor over and digging the shoulder into the back of the head to get him to rotate? You can do that without actually asking them to rotate. Watch what Tony Martin does here. He gets this position. Watch what he does. He's going to sag his weight forward. Now look at, hang on, now look, hang on, now look at this. Watch all the weight of Jake Matthews. Look at this, look at the shoulder here. He's, blow it up a little bit. He's driving that weight into it, nice and down, right? Pretty crazy. Here's what I love. Look at this for just a second. Look at the hand here. You see the hand right here? That's the hand of uh, Jake Matthews. He's going to bring it inside. When he does, look at Tony Martin. He's going to drive that knee inside. I don't know how much of this was intentional. Tony Martin, or Rocco Martin, excuse me, if you're watching this, please tell me, because I have been very, not surprised, but very pleasantly happy, uh, very happy to see his progress. I don't know how much of this was intentional in terms of what I'm about to show you, but if someone sees this, tell them about it, because I would love to know. Watch this. So he digs his weight forward. So now all of the weight of Jake Matthews is down and forward. He cannot sit up. He's got all this space behind him because he's still on his knees. If you don't cover with your elbows and he's not covering with his elbows, look, they're flared out like that, you're going to have all kinds of space. Here's what I think he does. He actually sags his weight so far back. Look at this. Ready? Look. this, This is the leg of Jake Matthews. This is the leg of Tony Martin. He's sagging so far forward and so far off to the side that he's using Matthews' own leg as a hook so that, like a rubber band, if you stretch it and let go, it pops, right? So that he can ricochet the other way. That's what I think is happening here. I don't know that to be a fact because it's such an interesting dynamic here. I've never quite seen this before. But he's leaning on one side so that he doesn't fall too—if you didn't have this hook here, he'd just fall off, right? There would be nothing holding him there. But that holds him in place, and then when that first knee is sunk and that first h- hook is sunk, then he could just pop over to the other side like that. Then what do you see here? Jake Matthews' hand is trapped. I don't know the sequence here about how he— because he initially he just drove in a knee. How he got the knee to turn into a hook on top of the hand— I don't know exactly what the setup is there. Uh, I'd have to see because obviously Matthews is kind of like reaching across or underneath. I I need to kind of see how, how he did that. But I know for sure he was sagging so that he could leapfrog back the other way. And I mentioned this before. You see it in MMA all the time. A lot of people want to put the far side hook in first. No. Near side hook in first, then the far. Rocco Martin did it correctly. Very nice. And that's why that back mount is ridiculous, right? So then, he's still got this nice, tight control. Look at at him driving all that weight down, right? Love that. And then, he's going to sag to the side. Now he's posting off his shoulder, elbow, and head, okay? He drops. He's got this hook. This is why I think there's a degree of intentionality to it, because I think he meant to do that once he put that first hook in. How he did it, I don't know. I'd love to know the specifics of that, but I thought that was pretty interesting. Then, he just switches grips, right? Before, he's over here. Now he switches, comes around. And then just sits just like this, whoop, drives his hand through and locks it up. This is my favorite part, right? Everyone talked about how he, look at, look at the bottom leg of Tony Martin, excuse me, Rocco Martin, slides it through, sinks on top. This leg is going to come up here and then slide down, I think, to make sure it's secure like that. And then he rolls over. Everyone's like, oh, he hooked the leg so that you couldn't do that Three Stooges bit like Brian Ortega and Cub Swanson where he had the same choke, but he didn't have the legs locked up, so they kind of just follow each other. He's preventing that here, but it's more than that. Remember that initial arm I talked about? Look here. What do you notice? It's not just that the leg is trapped. It's not just that the leg is trapped. The arm is trapped too. I got two rings there, so let me clear that off. The arm is trapped. God damn it. There we go. The arm is trapped too. Just like this. Look at that. So he get both the leg and the arm, and he set that up off the initial hook, sunk his weight to one side. He could ricochet to the other, switch the grip, drop to a hip, slid it through, locked it up, sunk the uh, like a baseball slide, his left leg through, crushed it on top, sealed it with the right leg, and then rolled, Choke to the sky, like you see here, and that's all she wrote, bro. Real quickly, real quickly, I want to show you something. Joe Schilling fought a guy by the name of Will Morris on the prelim card of Bellator 210. Joe Schilling's record heading into this fight was 2-5. and He's had a lot of ups in his career and some downs, right, some noteworthy downs. He has been training. I think he's a blue belt now, maybe even under Chrome Gracie. I'm not sure under who. Uh, Shouts to the folks at High Rollers, BJJ. He's been competing Um, Granted, it's a BJJ tournament where you get high, but he's been competing in the gi and training in the gi. There's footage of it. uh, Not just when he's high, of course, when he's sober as well, but there's video of that. Shouts to Joe Schilling. Joe Schilling's wrestling has improved dramatically. His striking has obviously been always great. His ground and pound is nasty. Look at this. This guy tried to take him down. Joe reversed him. Now watch this. I'm going to show this to you in real time. Watch this. This is real-time footage. Watch how fast the right hand comes. Hold on. He's going to sink the wizard over the top. He's going to use that to elbow him flat, and then watch how fast the right hand comes. Watch this. Watch these. Look at that ground and pound. Blooded him up immediately. Whoa, dude. Joe Schilling, if he can get the right position on top, it turns out that not only was he a great striker standing, but if he can balance himself He's got blazing hand speed, good power, nice accuracy. Certainly, he's a vicious, vicious competitor. I loved seeing a bunch of this stuff, and you see him just just absolutely all over this guy, right? Here's another scenario. He bombs on this guy with an elbow. He drops. Schilling stays on top. Now, here he makes a little bit of an error in terms of the scramble. I won't go into the details enough to just say. The thing was he kept his – he kept his – there's a couple things you could have here he could have done better. He's off balance here. If this guy with his right arm turned to face him, he would have run him over. But Joe recenters his hips like that and gets back on top. That was a nice adjustment by him. Let's just sort of go through this very quickly. And you can see him here. He's doing that bit from the Ben Wynn, Luis Smoker fight. Ben Wynn may be the better wrestler than Luis Smoka, or Louis Smoka. But Louis Smoka has a nice guillotine series. And with the guillotine series, would, would attempt it and then force win. Back to his back. You see Schilling do that here with the stand-up guillotine all the time. And then he gets him back down. Dude, look at this ground and pound. Look at this. Hard elbows. This guy is in trouble underneath. Look at the masterpiece that this violent painter is painting. Look. Look at this. Turns out Joe Schilling, look at the hand speed, bro. Turns out Joe Schilling has phenomenal. Look, he's still growing as a martial artist, but phenomenal ground and pound. Ladies and gentlemen, look at that. Look at that. It's like my underwear after Chipotle. Uh, all right. <laughs> Probably going to get fired for that. All right. look Again, what did I show you? Guillotine. Can't finish it, so he just runs him over. A couple things here he could have done differently. He's still growing. you know. No one's got a perfect fight. Uh, but here's the very ending. Look at this. All over him from the stand-up. Watch this in real time. Bang, bang. On top. Look at this. Goes to leg drag. Here he is in leg drag. Should have. There's a lot of things you could have done differently from leg drag to get to a better position, but just banging on this guy. Unbelievable. Shouts to Joe Schilling. What a phenomenal job. All right. Thank you guys so much for watching. Give the video a like. Subscribe to the uh, YouTube channel here at MMA Fighting. Tons of 231 coverage coming your way. Appreciate it. And uh, we're out of here. Until next time, stay frosty.